Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Vendorovsky show for Wednesday, <laughs> August 28th is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and helping bring back the Vendorovsky show. Good looking out, Miles. Close the door. Forgot to close the door. All right. Shout out to these unions for bringing back the Vendorovsky show. The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. And the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. All of you unions are awesome. Incredible good people. And of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Wednesday, August 28th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue... This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the return of legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson, Jacobin writer, slash author, slash Bernie lover, Micah Udrick will join us. And we welcome Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist slash Joe Biden lover, <laughs> Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Tick Tock Tick Wednesday. And here's why. You hear that ticking sound, D? Yeah. Tick Tock Tick Tock. What is that? That's the clock ticking down the hours, minutes, and seconds till the speech as in Lori Lightfoot's big budget speech that she's going to be making tomorrow Thursday at about six o'clock I think or maybe at 6 30 can't remember at the moment be live on TV it's the speech where she's going to tell us how much she's going to raise and taxes and fines and fees to get us out of the mess that she inherited from her predecessor whose name I can't remember what's his name Mayor Rom. yes indeed I'm not going to blame Lori for the financial mess that we're in because she just inherited these she just got an office I got a wait at least a year or two before I start blaming her for the, the mess that uh, she picked up. But uh, Mayor Rob, thanks a lot for nothing, pal. Take a chill pill, man. Yeah, I knew you'd say that. Anyway, as a preamble of sorts uh, to the big speech, she gave an interview in the Chicago Tribune on her first 100 days. And here it is. Chicago Tribune, home delivered as always. They, you're welcome, Tribune people. I hope you uh, buy some memberships in the Chicago Readers. So, you know, hey, one good hand, one favorite deserves another one. Right, one, right D? That was really nice of you. Yeah, I, I subscribe. I pay I pay their salaries. All right. Anyway, uh, the headline, 100 Days In, Lightfoot Sees Positive Steps uh, Towards Reform. Hmm. 
And uh, the article uh, has a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, the disclaimer from Lori is that it's too early to give her a grade on how she's uh, handled uh, her first 100 days. 100 days is too early, D. So all of us have been giving her grades. We've been giving her grades all week. But Lori's, ah, it's a little early for that, okay? But since you mention it, mm, I think I'll give myself an assessment. And uh, so here's her quote. Have we done everything in 100 days? Of course not. Is there a lot more that needs to be done? Yes. But I feel very good about where we are and also setting the right tone for city government. In other words, I'm going to give myself an A. All right. You know, it kind of reminds me, D, when I was a young scholar back in high school. Way, oh, way wow. Many. Like what's that, the 19... 19- 20s? Uh, yeah, it could have been the 1920s. Yes, I think Woodrow Wilson was our president. Anyway, I was a young scholar at Evanston Township High School. Not the best of scholars at that illustrious school. Those teachers couldn't wait to get rid of me. All right, I staggered through and managed to get my diploma. But I'll say this, D. If I graded myself, if I got to grade myself instead of the teachers grading me, man, I'd be five beta kappa. Anyway, that's just me and grades. A few other nuggets of interest from the Tribune story. Let's see. Uh, there was an interesting little tidbit about violence in Chicago. Let me get to it. Hold on, guys. Let me get, Here we go. The Tribune wrote, now follows. Faced with gun violence that's even garnered national attention from President Donald Trump and his daughter, Ivanka. Faced with gun violence that's even garnered national attention even interesting choice of words tribune even i mean donald trump's been uh harping on the violence in chicago since i don't know the day he rode down that escalator in trump tower to uh announce he was running for president it's part of his overall strategy to discredit president barack obama who of course his hometown of sorts is Chicago, and sort of feed a general nihilism in black community, part of his overall political strategy to repress and suppress the black vote. So it's hardly surprising that Donald Trump would mention or tweet about the violence in Chicago. What would be really surprising and very helpful if he did something to help us with the violence in Chicago. I don't know, you know, Donald Trump, you're more than just a tweeter. You can get involved in this thing called politics and life in the city of Chicago. Anyway, that was an interesting little point. I'll sort of let Donald uh, Trump off the hook there. Uh, but you know what, D? I'm bipartisan uh, when it comes uh, to ripping people of, of the political persuasion. So I just took a shot at Donald Trump. Now I'm going to take one of my, my beloved Democratic Party uh, in this same, there we go. In this same article. The Tribune uh, cites Alderman Tom Tunney of the 44th Ward. Okay, Alderman Tom Tunney, longstanding alderman of the 44th Ward. He, if, if he's not currently the Democratic Committeeman, he used to be the Democratic Committeeman. He is a politician of the Democratic Persuasion. He's been in the alderman in that ward, I want to say, D, since 2003 when Mayor Daley appointed him. And that whole tenure, he never had a word to say about anything resembling the ethics violations of Alderman Ed Burke, who was his ally and pal in the city council. And here's the Tribune. Here's what the Tribune has to say about Alderman Tom Tunney. Alderman Tom Tony, 44th, whose ward includes Lakeview, said Lori's done well on ethics reform and the scheduling ordinance, but we're going to have a tough budget season. Tom Tunney, Tunney suddenly offering his opinions on ethic reform in the city of Chicago. Come, Come on, on Tony. <laughs> Good Lord. As a general principle, Tribune, you should never ask an alderman who is an ally of Ed Burke for his opinions on ethics reform. Even I knew that. <laughs> Anyway, uh, interesting article in the Chicago Tribune about Lori Lightfoot and her opinions on her first 100 days. Uh, I urge everybody to read it, check it out, just see what the Tribune's up to, but not now, not after the show, right, D? Anyway, uh, 
I would say that this article in the Chicago Tribune is what? Like a, a rhetorical appetite, if you will, to the main course to come, which will be Lori's budget speech. Hold on, D, you hear that sound? Yeah, that's you making a clock noise. <laughs> Getting closer and closer to the big speech. In the meantime, we got a great show today, everybody. Monroe Anderson will be here. Yeah, it's midweek with Monroe. That's what we call it. He's ready to talk. Oh, my God. He put it on his Facebook wall. Trump, 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 and more Trump. He is oh, so yeah. fired up to talk about Trump. Bringing out the trolls before his appearance today. Uh, yeah, he loves fun. Oh my God! I don't know why they go up against them because they always run away with their tails between their legs. They're you know the trolls. Uh, Monroe just backs them around. Uh, anyway, they uh, Michael Uderich will be here from uh, Jacobin Magazine. He loves Bernie. It's true. Uh, he just completed a book on Bernie Sanders and a lot to talk about in the world of Bernie Sanders. Uh, we we alluded to this yesterday. The la latest poll has Bernie neck and neck with uh, Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren in the Democratic primary. Already, Monroe is saying, you know, Monroe is not the biggest Bernie fan in the world, uh, that, you know, well, you know, that's an outlier, blah, blah, blah. Biden's still ahead. Horrible Monroe Anderson impression. <laughs> it will be interesting. Well, that was not even my attempt to do. Let's hear your Monroe Anderson imitation. Happy Monday. <laughs> Uh, that's actually not bad. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what Monroe and Micah have to say. A bit of a different opinion on uh, the Democratic uh, primary. I know, Dennis, Dr. D, you're a big Bernie guy, aren't you? Oh, yeah, I'm feeling still the burn. Feel, still feeling the burn. Anyway, so Mike will be here. We're doing a lot of uh, Bernie Sanders talk. And then at 2.30, Brendan Johnson, good friend of the show from Cook County Board Commissioner and uh, Chicago Teachers. I don't know if he's still with the Teachers Union. Uh, he'll come in, and uh, interesting to hear what Brendan has to say about politics, local, national, and, uh, you know, what's going on with the— the threat of a Chicago teacher strike. So Brendan's always got uh, some good, interesting political thoughts. So he'll be in here. Mike will be here. Monroe will be here. Plenty of political talk. But before we do any of that, we turn to the doctor for, for the news. How's it going, everybody? I'm Dennis. Never been a doctor in my life. It's the middle of Wednesday. Let's unpack that local news. Happy 100 days as mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Yeah. We're partying today. Woo, woo. Hey, Is more on that in a moment, all right? But first, let's talk about our Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker. Okay. The, the governor put out a press release today. Mm -hmm. It involves that kind of gaudy building in downtown Chicago, the James R. Thompson Center. Okay. Here's the press release from the governor. Governor J.B. Pritzker today announced a major step toward the sale of the James R. Thompson Center, or the JRTC, the Illinois Department of Central Management Services, or the CMS will issue a request for proposals or a RFP <laughs> this week for an array of technical and project management expertise for the disposition of the James R. Thompson Center or JRTC at the best value to the state of Illinois. Here's the quote from the governor himself, quote, not doing an impression. The Thompson, the Thompson Center is an inefficient work environment for the current demands of state business. By the way, to make sure that we're all on board here, maybe there's some uh, listeners that are new to Illinois. James R. Thompson was Illinois' longest-serving governor from 1977 to 1991. Okay, Ben, your turn. And because, well, asking your thoughts about a big, weird-looking building <laughs> may not be the most compelling <laughs> podcast material, yeah. give us your thoughts on former Illinois Governor James R. Thompson. Any gripes, grievances? Uh, 
yeah, a lot of gripes, a lot of grievances. Uh, James R. Thompson was a Republican, and he was a Republican before Rauner took the Republican took control of the Republican Party uh, in Illinois. He was the type of Illinois Republican who loved to cut deals with Democrats. He was the sort of Republican that Democrats love. Uh, and uh, some would argue that it was James R. Thompson who got us into the pension mess that we're in now by not uh, force, but not uh, r- routinely paying our pension obligations. Uh, and uh, some could make that argument. I never voted for James R. Thompson. Do you have a confession to make? Uh, I always talked and thought about voting for him, but that that poll, that Democratic poll, always just took me to the other side. And I, I thought for certain in 1982 that Thompson was going to lose to Adlai Stevens, and that was the uh, Reagan recession election. We're in the middle of a terrible recession, and the Democrats came up with a, a punch-10 strategy, just one single punch. You vote a straight Democratic ticket, and uh, Thompson, uh, it, Stevenson came very close to defeating Thompson. Uh, and Thompson eked out a victory. There was a, I think there was a partial count, a recount. And uh, so he was able to have four more years. And then the next time around, Thompson, if you recall, Adlai Stevenson, what a boondoggle this was. Uh, Adlai Stevenson ran again against Thompson, but a um, cultist from the LaRouches, this is how dysfunctional the Democrats were in 1986, uh, were victorious for lieutenant governor and I believe secretary of state. And so uh, Adlai Stevenson had to leave the Democratic Party because he didn't want to run with LaRouches and run as an independent and Thompson swept him. So in some ways, uh, Thompson was very lucky uh, as uh, because he barely eked out a victory in 83, uh, 82, and uh, he was the beneficiary of that insane uh, de- democratic dysfunction. So that's my uh, take on James R. Thompson. All right. Uh, and any uh, any memories of the Thompson Center? Yeah, I used to like the Thompson. I have some many memories of the Thompson Center, but when it was first built, uh, I used to go there. There were hearings, I read state hearings that were in the Thompson Center. I would eat in that food court down in the basement, and somehow or other, over the years, the state didn't take care of the Thompson Center and started to fall apart. And uh, there was always heating issues with it. It was always too hot uh, in the the, uh, uh, the summer and too cold in the winter. And so, you know, Bruce Rauner was the first person who started talking about selling it. Of course, I never really trusted it when. Bruce Rauner was talking about that deal. You know what I'm saying, D? I always had a feeling it was one of these inside deals that wasn't going to help the taxpayers of uh, the state of Illinois. I'm still a little dubious about that. Al Riley, you know, our our good friend, State Senator, uh, State Representative Al Riley, former State Rep Al Riley, uh, was a big opponent of that sale. I should bring him on and have him uh, take us through the ABCs of the sale of the Thompson Center. All right, and now comes the portion of this press release from Pritzker where the Pritzker administration is really hoping that some potential Thompson Center buyers may be reading the press release because, boy, this is one hell of a sales pitch on the Thompson Center. Just listen to this here. Let me get some uh, good music to go along with it here. All right, so this is from the press release. Opened in 1985, the JRTC is a 17-story marble, granite, glass, and steel structure encompassing approximately 1.2 million square feet of enclosed area. The building's steel frame is topped by a cylindrical skylight 75 feet above the roof level. The skylit rotunda is 160 feet in diameter and is surrounded by 16 floors of open office space. The main building enclosure system is glazed with single-pane, non-thermally broken aluminum frame. Like, why do we need to know all this, right? I don't know. The system is energy inefficient and does not meet current standards for performance or thermal comfort. Wow, at least they were honest. uh, uh, Seconding what I just said, 
yeah, I, my guess is, I mean, you should bring Dave Roeder in, uh, sometimes a uh, planning expert knows all about development in Chicago. My, uh, my sense is that they're selling the Thompson Center so that it could be demolished and something bigger can be put there. That would be my guess, uh, D. That's my guess what they're up to. And as I recall, part of the problem with what Rahner uh, had up in, in mind was that he was trying to uh, cut the city out of any kind of say in what uh, was was developed on that block. So you're going to have to bring the city in. It comes downtown Chicago, right across the street from City Hall. Uh, so the city has definitely has to be have a hand in this. Do not want any city funds. You know what I'm saying? Those TIF funds going to uh, to tear down the Thompson Center. What a waste of money that would be. Uh, but, uh, you know, there would be a benefit to tearing it down on, on this to hand because it's tax exempt right now. It's owned by the state. But uh, if it becomes privately owned, of course, it would start the owner would have to pay taxes. So, uh, yeah, I, the time may become may have come to tear down the tops. Oh, there's one more part of the press release I got to put on here. Someone, please, for the love of God, <laughs> buy the James R. Thompson Center. Yeah, you watch this deal, folks. Keep an eye on this deal when they start selling downtown property. Uh, they're going to try to bamboozle you. We're only going to send it for $1. But what a deal it is for you because it's going to start paying property tax. That's what we're going to do. And people in Chicago, you know, they shuffle those papers around, folks. They talk really fast. And they have hearings in the middle of the day when you can't get to them. And all of a sudden, you end up selling this valuable piece of land for like a fraction of what it's worth and they're telling you insisting that it's a great deal it's like a game of three card money you can't follow what they're doing so after a while i just give up and go home and that's how they do development deals in the city of chicago d all right let's move on it's time to party oh hey ben put the bong away my god we're in the sun time i don't I don't like that. I'm just going to have a I'm not, it's not a bong. It's these crackers that uh, Mark Sims left for us. No oh, bong. Yeah, right. yeah. All right. No pot smoking in here. Wait okay. till you get home, pal. <laughs> but hey, Lori Lightfoot has been Chicago mayor for 100 days. Mm. Now, ever since last week, the Ben Jarofsky show, along with other media outlets and online pundits, have been looking back on Lightfoot's tenure as mayor thus far. And well... Let's just say, not the most glowing reviews. <laughs> Our listeners are really hard on him, aren't they, D? And I guess that's um, why the mayor took it upon herself to give herself her own 100-day yeah, review. Yeah, yeah, and Ben, what do you know? According to Chicago Mayor Lightfoot, she's doing awesome. Uh, well, I just can't finish saying that, D. Yeah, she's, if it came down to self-grading, I, too, would have been an outstanding scholar, you know, but whatever. Now, Ben mentioned her talk with the Chicago Tribune at the Open, but the mayor's office also put out a press release recently. And listen, I don't like saying this, all right? But in Bruce Rauner, like fashion, <laughs> the press release from her contains a list of accomplishments by her okay. since becoming mayor. Okay. I, have, I have the list right here in my face. It looks like we got 11 Lori Lightfoot accomplishments here. Right. Ben, I'll read one by one here. You weigh in, and we'll see how far we get until Mon uh, Monroe Anderson okay, arrives. Okay, all right. All right, here have we go. we heard from Monroe, by the way? Any update no, on Monroe? Okay. okay. Monroe doesn't really like texting, all right? Typical yeah. Wednesday here on the Ben Jarowski show. <laughs> he'll, he'll be here when he gets here. All right, let's go through the list of accomplishments, uh, according to Lori Lightfoot, since she's become mayor. Number one, creation of a multifaceted, comprehensive crime-fighting strategy centered on unprecedented citywide coordination that has resulted in nearly 7,000 guns recovered year-to-date, a three-year low in murders, shooting incidents at their lowest count since 2015, and 20-year lows in robberies, burglaries, and motor vehicle thefts. All right. Uh, wow. Every any time a mayor, uh, we, we went through this with, with Rom and with Daly. 
Uh, but really with Rahm, anytime a mayor starts taking full credit for uh, the ups and the downs, let's put it this way, of in crime, it's always, you always got to be a little cautious in that, uh, folks. Uh, crime, there's, uh, I, I like to say there's been crime in the city of Chicago for forever. And uh, mayors grapple with this in many different ways, different strategies. But essentially, Lori Lightfoot uh, is an inherited position of mayor of the city of Chicago while crime was going down. It was already going down in the last years of Mayor Rahm. So do we credit Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot for new innovations that have managed uh, that have uh, for the drop in crime? Do we just say it's a larger trend that no mayor should be responsible for? I don't know if you wanted if you're a serious student of crime and police tactics. Uh, that's an argument for you. Most people in the city of Chicago just want crime to go down. They don't really care. You know what I'm saying, D? And uh, so if she wants to give herself credit for crime going down, that's fine with me. On the other hand, if crime starts going up, touch wood that it doesn't. But if it does, uh, then she's going to have to take uh, the blame for it. All right. We're listing the accomplishments here uh, from Lori Lightfoot. According to Lori Lightfoot, uh, her accomplishments since she first became mayor, Celebrating 100 days as mayor. All right, number two, passing the most comprehensive worker scheduling law. Oh, I'm sorry, this is, uh, I got one before that. My apologies. It says, directing a significant expansion of school staffing and resources, including an unprecedented equity-focused budget, commitment to increasing social worker, nurse, and special education case manager positions, and one of the largest capital budgets in recent history with investments to upgrade classrooms and facilities at over 300 schools across the city all right yeah we'd love to hear what brandon johnson has to say about this look this is going to be a very contentious issue in the upcoming it is a contentious issue in the current the ongoing teachers negotiations negotiations between the the chicago teachers union and the chicago public schools uh basically the teachers want these nursing jobs these uh, counselor jobs to be embedded in a school's budget. They want every school to, and librarian, let's not forget librarians, they want each school to have a certain number of library, uh, each school to have a minimum of like one librarian at least, uh, a certain number of what they call wraparound workers. I applaud them, I believe that's absolutely necessary. Mayor Lightfoot does not want to make that commitment now. That's a huge commitment of money uh, and that she has other uses for that money. So she, so what she's doing, D, is a very uh, astute public relations move. She's hired some in this particular budget, but she, uh, teacher of uh, librarians and social workers and counselors, et cetera, but not as much as the, the teachers union uh, want. And they're not embedded in a contract so that they have to be there every year for every school. And uh, so she's trying to get her message out first so that she think the public will just who's barely paying attention to this stuff will think hey what are they complaining about she hired a few librarians so that's a very astute political move by Lori lightfoot whether it actually helps the students and throughout the chicago public school system is a whole other issue all right on to Lori lightfoot accomplishment number three passing the most comprehensive worker scheduling law in the nation that will finally give lower wage workers and their families predictability in scheduling and fairer working conditions yeah, i give her credit on that one we've been talking a lot about that on the show and uh, we had a uh, Alderman, Alderwoman Sue Garza from the 10th Ward uh, was it was her committee that that uh, passed. And so shout out to you, Lori Lightfoot. That is truly a, an accomplishment, something that your predecessor, Mayor Rahm, in a million years would have been dragging his feet on. You know what I mean? That would have taken him, man. <laughs> Mayor Rahm would have taken two years to get that thing done. It would have been a watered down. So kudos for that one, Lori Lightfoot. All right, on to accomplishment number four. 
This is from the Lori Lightfoot campaign press release. All right, this isn't just Dennis listing eleven <laughs> things that I really like. Oh, about you her, love okay? Lori. <laughs> Begun reforming an historically regressive fines and fees system in order to help people move into payment plans and compliance instead of into bankruptcy. Oh, yeah. Is that the end of that? That yep. stipulation? Okay. This, we've talked about this so much in this show, the way in which the city of Chicago uh, is dependent on poor people to finance itself with our crazy system with the, with the red light cameras and you get a certain number of tickets and then you can lose your car and then you try to get your car out of hock. Uh, it's like a daily fee that escalates. Uh, they really get just like gangster-like business from the city of Chicago, and it's a way of shaking down the people who can at least afford it uh, to pay for um, uh, to pay for the city's bills. I think we have to go f- far further than she did on this particular point. We should really start thinking about doing away with some of these fines and fees because they're so regressive. Uh, but I guess it was a step in the right direction. All right, moving on here. Gesundheit, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. I'm, I got the allergies like crazy. Anybody else got allergies listening out there? I feel like crap. All right, here we go. Uh, the next accomplishment, we're on to number five. Overhauling the workers' compensation program to improve benefits to workers and reduce liability and claims costs to the city. All right. Well, I haven't seen a whole lot of That's a lot of talk about that, uh, shifting it from the finance committee uh, under the supervision of Ed Burke in the old days uh, to the city. So that's sort of like an incomplete. Got to see more specificity on that one. All right. On to number six. We're listing, uh, well, we're going through the press release for Lori. This is Lori's accomplishments as she sees it. Yeah, there you go. There you Mm -hmm. go. Number six, achieving passage of a series of ethics and good governance reforms to ensure the city operates more efficiently, transparently, and in a way that is accountable to all residents and taxpayers. I have no idea what she's going to need a little more specificity before you that. Uh, And again, I, I... I, like I did with the Tribune, I always caution anybody to put the word ethics in the same sentence as the 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 city called Chicago. So I, I need to see a little more specificity on that one before we raise the flag celebrating that. Yeah, she kind of could have left that one. That on one is kind of loosely worded there. <laughs> oh yeah, we've done great things. Okay, if you say same thing with the workers' comp, a little more specificity. You know, whatever. It's, this is why you probably shouldn't give yourself a grade after a hundred days if you haven't done something on that particular issue. On to number seven, doubling down on protections for immigrant and refugee families by issuing an executive order to terminate ICE access to citywide databases and city facilities, increasing legal aid funding by two hundred fifty thousand dollars and uniting with community and business leaders to address fears in the wake of threats right, well this one is uh she's she's under fire in this one for many progressives don't think she's gone far enough on the issue of protecting people who live in the chicago from being uh rounded up by ice so this is one where she, again it's like with the teachers union she's get trying to get out ahead of her her critics by claiming a victory when there's a lot of people say more work needs to be done so i don't know if i would give her credit for that one d all right we are working our way through Lori lightfoot's list of accomplishments according to mayor Lori lightfoot since becoming mayor yeah she said hey if i'm going to be graded for our first hundred days i'm going to grade myself and i think she's giving herself straight a's d boy i'm just looking at this i'm doing great yeah <laughs> All right, on to number eight, working with partners to secure authorization on a Chicago casino. Oh, boy, Ben's about to get ready to riff here. And taking additional steps toward creating a long-term sustainable financial plan for the city. All right, well, okay, first of all... 
you got to bury this one. Now. The long-term financial plan. All right, let's put that one to the side. Uh, the casino issue. Everybody knows uh, my thoughts on the casinos. If you listen to the show, it's a truly regressive way to uh, finance government. Uh, the city and the state feel they have no choice, so they passed a casino law, massive casino expansion. And now it turns out uh, that casino operators aren't certain if they want to uh, have a, uh, take control of a casino in the city of Chicago because the way the law is written, they don't feel they're going to get enough money uh, from the casino to make it worth their while, which is, you know, already there's a negotiation going on before any casino operators have emerged to try to change the formula to give the casino owners more money. Uh, this game, this is another one of these shifting uh, three-card Monty games where they first, when when the law first passed, uh, Mayor Lightfoot announced that there were five, I think there were five sites throughout the city, including some on the south side and the west side that she was looking at, and all of a sudden they're saying, no, those sites uh, aren't conducive for a casino, and the casino operators need more money. So this is a constantly shifting game, and it's really too early to give yourself credit for anything, which you may not want to give yourself credit for to begin with, because I don't know if casinos are in the best interest of the city of Chicago. So I don't even know why it's on the list, D. All right, on to accomplishment number nine from Lori Lightfoot. According to Lori Lightfoot, creating the city's first ever office of racial justice and equity to oversee the development of policies and practices to advance racial and social equity for the city. All right, now, this is a great idea, and I give her credit for uh, uh, having such an office and uh, dedicating her time and her energy to uh, this issue of inequity in the city of Chicago. Certainly is tremendous inequity in the city of Chicago. However, I must point out that the most striking example of inequity in the city of Chicago is the TIF program. And in particular, it's Lincoln Yards and the 78. And I may be the only person who harps on about this day. I know the tribute didn't even, <laughs> they did this story in the first hundred days of Lori life. It didn't even mention TIFs. It's kind of funny. Uh, but you can't give yourself credit for leading the fight for social equity if you're fighting the lawsuit to overturn Lincoln Yards. And I think that Lori, I, I wrote about this, this is my column for this week's, in, in this week's Reader. I think that Lori Lightfoot uh, has to really come forward. I would love to hear her thoughts on why her administration, her law department is fighting grassroots collaboratives lawsuit that would uh, torpedo the Lincoln Yard tips because nothing is more, what, unfair than spending, dedicating $1.3 billion to economic development on a north side, rapidly gentrifying neighborhood, while poor south and west side neighborhoods do without money. So I think she has to deal with that issue. And that is something that she controls because she controls the TIF program uh, before she starts giving herself credit uh, on this front. All right. If you just uh, tuned in, if you're listening live, we are going over the list of accomplishments. According to Lori Lightfoot, uh, and since her first 100 days in office, oh, we're having a party. Hey, whoa, Ben. Liquor? Really? My God. I swear to God, it's just a lifesaver whoa. that uh, Mark Sims brought in yesterday. Wait, <laughs> drink liquor till you get home. I got cake over in the corner. It's good partying. Come on. No, it's just a cookie that Mark Sims left. Number 10, creating the city's first chief risk officer position, which will focus on launching an enterprise risk management system to reduce the cost of legal settlement, uh, settlements to the city. All right. Well, this is a big problem. Uh, legal settlements to the city have to do with uh, police brutality 
sexuality lawsuits. And uh, I cannot blame Lori Lightfoot. I started off by saying I cannot blame Lori Lightfoot uh, for the situation we're in with our financial obligations. Uh, nor can I blame Lori Lightfoot for uh, the, all the lawsuits down through the years and uh, having to do with police brutality matters. So um, I'm not sure what this position will do uh, to address the problem of having all these lawsuits and all these payouts. Uh, it sounds good D it sounds promising, I suppose, but we're going to have to wait and see, uh, just general policing attitudes and police training and, uh, uh, and, and also things that are like, there are some to a certain degree outside of Lori's uh, control, like the number of jobs that we have in the city of Chicago. How about all those hiring more of the counselors in the public schools and the nurses in the public schools, et cetera, the social workers, uh, et cetera, having more after school programs, uh, anything that might, that she could do to combat crime uh, by giving people something to do and, uh, and putting people in a more positive focus. These are things she controls. Again, go back to the TIF program instead of spending the money on a north side development, spending the money in the schools. So these are all parts of the, it's a huge, complex problem. Crime in Chicago and the relationship between police and poor black communities. It's a problem that's existed for 50 years, as long as I've been around the city. Longer than that, go back to the race riots in 1919. So Lori Lightfoot's inheriting a huge problem. And uh, I'm not quite sure uh, that... Uh, what does he call it? A risk? What it risk management uh, is going to be an adequate uh, solution to it. So it sounds more like something on a press release D than an actual meaningful change in the city of Chicago. All right, we got two more Lori Lightfoot accomplishments, according to Lori Lightfoot, to go. Number eleven, beginning steps toward a comprehensive redevelopment strategy to tackle years of disinvestment on the city's south and west sides, including creating a coalition of over forty business leaders to participate in a corridor reinvestment strategy. All right, well, that gets back to the TIF program. That the TIF program is the only uh, discretionary. It's the only source of discretionary money that a mayor has to fund economic development. It is everything in the city. That's why I spent so much time talking about it. And it is so unfair the way it's allocated right now. And uh, if she doesn't do something to, to change radically the TIF program, uh, that is just empty rhetoric on that uh, press release. And right now, like I said, she's fighting the lawsuit that's intended to change it. So we need to see more on this front. Benny J, we made it all the way through the list. It is time now for number 12 accomplishment number 12 according to Lori Lightfoot since becoming mayor launching a new and improved qualified allocation plan or QAP <laughs> which for the first time makes explicit collaboration with a continuum of care resulting in a coordinated application process for addressing homelessness uh, okay, homelessness. Wow. I didn't know where you were going with that sentence. I had no idea what it meant. But here's another issue where she said disagreement with progressives, and that has to do with getting a, uh, a stream of money to finance programs to deal with homelessness. Uh, when she was running for mayor, Lori Lightfoot endorsed a plan where she would uh, put a tax on the sale of really expensive buildings or really expensive property, I think for over a, mil a million dollars, and that money would be directly allocated to fight homelessness. Now she is generally talking about this, using that money to uh, take care of the city's business needs. So it's it's not surprising that she would bury 
put that to number 12 and put that gobbledygook language that nobody understands because this is another one of these programs where she's at odds with progressives. So you know what you do? You bury it at the bottom of the list. Nobody would get to it. And, uh, and then you, you phrase it in such a way that nobody knows what you're talking about. And uh, that's PR uh, 101D. So there you are. Some uh, local news there. Uh, the list of accomplishments from Lori Lightfoot, according to Lori Lightfoot, celebrating her 100 days as mayor. Oh, Ben, put the <laughs> party maker noise away. Good <laughs> Lord. Okay. Well, hey, whoa. Do you feel that in the air, by the way? Oh, yeah. What is that? Ready to say it. 2020. Yeah. Blue dog. Blue dog. By the way, she's, Lori Lightfoot should have put something in the press release. She's the first mayor in the city of Chicago who actually knows uh, football. All right. Mayor Rahm didn't know football at all. And Mayor Daly didn't really care about football at all. So give yourself credit for something you really do know. Lori's the season ticket holder for the Chicago Bears. How about that, D? Oh, there went Take that. that thing about the homelessness, that gobbledygook out and put the Bears thing in. All right. Well, there went that segue. <laughs> it's almost football season, which means that the best sports reporters at the Chicago Sun-Times want to offer you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories you love, and that's A-L-L all. Do not miss a game this season. Get all the big plays, scores, and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times for a limited time only. You can lock in our lowest rate yet, only $29.99 for a full year of all the news and sports that you need to know. Stay up to date on the breaking stories. Get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters and go deep inside City Hall with best-in-class political reporting and, of course, Cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city. Ben, make that noise. Ready, set, 2020. Yeah, <laughs> ready, set, 2020, guys. And ready, set, 29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. You cannot do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. People do not go anywhere because coming up after this short little break, we're going to talk with the legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for, um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really 
I believe in that wholeheartedly, and uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Well, we got to get down to business. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Monroe Anderson has joined us. Uh, Monroe Anderson joins us every Wednesday, a legendary Chicago journalist to talk Trump, 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 and Trump. Gets all these Trump lovers all fired up. <laughs> you know, I was just joking in Monroe how they they uh, they try to argue with you on Facebook. Uh, the the <laughs> they, then, then they just go run away. You know what I mean? The arguments are over kind of fast, uh, generally. Well, they're regurgitating Fox. So it's, it's all lies. Mm. But in their their worldview and in Trump's worldview, the truth is, is where the lies are, and the lies are where the truth lies. Yeah. And it's all confused. It's very confusing. All right, so you have a whole list of things you want to talk about uh, with Trump, 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 and Trump. Uh, I guess I would start with the latest uh, Trump polls. Uh, 62%, I think, was what I saw his uh, negative, or his unfavorable rating, I should say. Yes. Uh, And uh, that suggests to me that the country is sick and tired of Donald John Trump. Oh, they're very sick and tired of Donald Trump. Um, Those who can beat him would be... Democrats mm-hmm. would be Biden, Bernie, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, and and Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete. All right, we're going to any get, of those people could beat him. We're going to get more into this uh, when Micah comes in in okay. about a half an hour or sure. so. Micah uh, just finished writing a book about Bernie. Uh, I think he has a Bernie tattoo on the uh, Micah loves Bernie. I saw it. <laughs> So it'd be interesting to see. I know you're more of the Biden it, persuasion. It, is, is it on his back like Nixon is on, on um, Roger Stone? Roger, Roger Stone. Stone. Yeah, no, that, we'll have to ask him. Like, Micah, where do you put that Bernie tattoo? It's got it right next to that alligator tattoo. Put the alligator. Uh, no, just teasing Micah there. Anyway. It's uh, on his arm. Uh, but uh, yeah, 60, I, there was a uh, column in the New York Times, uh, Frank Bruni, I think it was, wrote the other day that he's uh, he believes that the country is just sick and tired of Donald Trump. And uh, this is the argument that many people give me. I probably should say this for Micah, but uh, people want a sense of normalcy. 
Yes. And uh, this is just a level of insanity here with Donald Trump. Right. There's no reality. Yeah, uh, my, 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 my wife Joyce has become so dispirited by Trump that she's watching game shows. She's <laughs> <laughs> just thrown in the towel. Right, exactly. I mean, right. yeah, what's the point? You're going to vote against him anyway. Right, nothing exactly. he says, nothing right. that happens right. change. Well, no, he upsets people. Yeah. I mean, they've gotten to a point now where if you aren't a Trump nut, then the stuff he does is just so upsetting because he he breaks every rule there is. Yeah. He's lawless. He's immoral. He's he's, a, he's corrupt. I mean, he's all these negative things all balled up into one. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's th- talk about some of the uh, specific uh, matters that have emerged over the last week. Uh, you have something at the top of the list. Well, the, the Trump and Russian billionaire bankers. What's that all about? Okay. Um, the in New York, they were able to subpoena records uh, from Deutsche Bank, mm-hmm. which is Trump and, and Putin's bank. I mean, it could, quite literally, it's a it's a it's a German bank that the Russians control that has um, bailed out Trump time and time again over the last twenty years, and um, there was a subpoena to get Trump the Trump families. Um, bank um, information mm-hmm. to their bank accounts. They fought it and fought it and fought it. They being Deutsche Bank. Uh, Who fought the subpoena? Deutsche Bank and the Trumps. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, yesterday, a judge gave them a deadline where, okay, um, either you tell us you have it, have his, his taxes uh, or you don't. And so they f- said, finally, well, yes, we do have his taxes. Yeah. Deutsche and they Bank, do, yeah, Deutsche they Bank, have his tax and they have a lot of his bank um, facts, his bank accounts. Lawrence O'Donnell of MSNBC and um, the West Wing TV series fame, uh, Lawrence claimed on his show last night that he had a source that said that because um, to have these bank loans as large as Trump's, that mm-hmm. you really need a co-signer. And that the co-signer for Trump's loans is a Russian oligarch close to Putin. So this would sort of verify, if it's true, verify right, exactly. things that you've been saying for two years now. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You, now, but it's it's only one sourced so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so Lawrence is out there on that limb with me. Yeah, yeah he's on that limb. It's, you know, if you don't cite any sources, right, just so exactly. people know this, Lawrence is citing a source. Right. Uh, Monroe just cites uh, street smarts. Yes. And, and, and your general argument for the last two years is that there has to be a reason why Trump is resisting. Exactly. Uh, oh, you know, when he was at the G7 last week, the, when he wasn't in front of the cameras, um, cheering Putin on. Mm-hmm. He was uh, he was behind the scenes talking to these world leaders trying to convince them to let Putin back into the G7 mm-hmm. and make it G8 again. And of course he told that gigantic lie about how um Putin outsmarted Obama on on uh, on on uh, the Crimean Krim, mm-hmm. Yeah. And um instead of the fact that it Russia invaded. Yeah, the Crimea. Yeah, yeah, Crimea, and uh, yeah. yeah, no, we talked about that last week. Right. It was uh, his attempt to always blame Obama. Yes, uh, and yes. led Putin off the hook. Yeah, and and you know, it, 
And so, I mean, it's, it, and then, of course, at the G7 meeting, he also um, was spilling for his, his hotel, his failed hotel mm-hmm. in, in Miami, the, the um, Doro, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And anyway, it's losing money big time since he became president. And so he wants to hold the <laughs> summit next year at, at, at his luxury hotel well, where he'll get to um, charge all these different c- countries mm-hmm. these exorbitant prices to stay there. But he's not going to make any money off, mm-hmm. off of it. That's what he says. That's he's what he says. Make so any one, of his, one of his many lies. Yeah. So we'll have to see his income tax statements to see if that one is true. Yes. Yes. So uh, how, where do you think this income tax story is going to go? How long can Trump keep resisting? Because Deutsche Bank has the documents. They, yes. they, they reveal they have the documents. Yes. Now what's the next step before they release it? Oh, it's going to be in court. It probably will go all the way to the Supreme Court. Unless... Drum roll, please. The Democrats get back here in a couple of weeks and say, we're not pretending we're impeaching. We're impeaching. And then everything gets jacked up a bit because they, they don't have to go through the courts any longer. With, with an, an impeachment pr- process, mm-hmm. they are, in fact, the court. Yeah. Well, here's the. I mean, so then they can get this stuff. We're in Jim Coogan country, and uh, he'll be coming on uh, further down the road to talk about this. But presumably, if the Democrats issue a subpoena to uh, Deutsche Bank to turn over those documents, yes. uh, Trump could uh, resist them. So he could. It still might go to court if tr- if Deutsche Bank may say, "All right, we'll oh, turn." Oh no, it's it yeah, right. Yeah. No, this either way, it's going to go to court. It's going to be in court. Yeah, yeah. unless again, and uh, if the impeachment process if it becomes an official impeachment inquiry, yeah. then um, it doesn't have to go to the Supreme Court. It gets short-circuited. And let me point out something that we all know. Yes, uh, Democrats, when they go down the road to investigate yes. uh, Trump's ties to Russia, right. uh, Trump's potential, uh, these uh, devious alliances he has with Putin, yeah. um, and uh, all the machinations that the Trump uh, campaign did to get Trump elected yeah. uh, and to conceal all this, this evidence of potential uh, treachery. Uh, when Democrats go down this road, the general response from Trump supporters is uh uh, indifference or a hostility. Yes. How dare you attack Trump or the counterattack right. and talk about Clinton. It's what their favorite counterattack right. or Obama will uh, make uh, some uh, stuff uh, about yeah. Obama. Uh, yeah, right. So you know, as well as I do that, uh, like you and I are interested in this because, well, we're both, old journalists so we right. do really want to get at the facts and we right. want to see the evidence right. okay well plus uh, i want to see him go to jail and you <laughs> okay you have your other interest <laughs> i think uh, crooks should go behind bars yeah and traitors uh so where do you think the rest of the country is in terms of its interest do you think the rest of the country well, no the majority of the country and by that i mean 60 62 63 percent something mm-hmm. like that uh, they don't want an impeachment yeah I don't want impeachment proceedings. But that was the same with Watergate until it started and the facts started coming mm-hmm. out. And then there was a change of heart. And this is what will happen this time. Once you have fact witnesses, uh, not people talking about procedures and you know, things like that, but people who are, are witnesses to the crime are on network TV for all the nation to see 
day after day, um, chronicling all of Trump's crimes, mm-hmm. the, cha- the things will change. Mm. The attitudes will change. Yeah. And as Trump's numbers <laughs> continue to slide as they are now, after the House in- indicts him, then the Senate will either give him the Nixon treatment where they pay some, uh, McConnell and some others visit him and say, if you don't quit, we're going to impeach you. Yeah. Well, one of the things, one of, the, you. One of the indications, all right, before we get, I, yeah. I, you and I, will, we're yeah. vast disagreement on that one. Put this yeah. set to the okay, side. I know. One of the signs uh, that the tides are changing on this, uh, to support your point, yeah. are the, the quote unquote moderate Democrats in Illinois who yeah. are in um, swing districts right. have already come out in favor of impeachment. I think Lauren Underwood yes. has come out. Yes. Uh, and, and, and she did it on. Um, on the Russian part, not on the obstruction of justice. She based it on the, the Russian um, conspiracy part of Mueller's report. Mm-hmm. As opposed to? As opposed to the second part, which was obstruction of justice. Obstruction of justice. Which is, which is a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, the obstruction of justice, you, you see it all the time. The Russian conspiracy, um, you have to um, use your imagination and do a little footwork but it's there uh and raja uh, congressman raja came out uh against i thought saw it today sometimes he's for an impeachment yeah. uh, uh bill foster is for impeachment right. a very moderate uh, right. democrat and uh, my sense is monroe that what polls their internal polls because a lot of these are very cautious politicians yes. got that finger to the wind exactly. see which way it's blowing exactly uh the the polls are suggesting what that they can't get out of a democratic primary unless they favor impeachment or uh most of the people in their district well there are two things going on mm-hmm. i think um first of all um if they don't go for impeachment, they may get primaried by someone um, in their district that's to the left of them. And the second thing is if they don't go for an impeachment, all this energy that's there to kick Trump out of the the office could be lost and people will stay at home and we'll end up with Trump, the the horror of another four years of Trump. Yeah. Doubt that energy is going away. I, I think the people may be like uh, your wife and temporarily pushing the button uh, on pause. Okay, what I'm right, saying. Right. But come a year from now, yeah. Good God, Monroe. Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah, no, th- that probably will happen. But you know, we we have four key states basically. That's 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 what Trump is playing for. He's not playing for the popular that vote. He can't get the popular vote. He might lose his, by as many as five million votes, popular. Yeah. But if he can get get the so-called blue wall states that he got mid Midwest states that he got to beat Hillary, who are the uh, what? And your list of the four states? Th- uh, the um, well, it's it's um, Michigan, Pens- Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin, and uh, Ohio. Ohio, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. It would be really interesting if Trump could take Texas. I mean, the Democrats take Texas away from the Republicans, and that would really put a lot more pressure on Trump. You know, he if he just thinks he's got Texas in the bag, right. And all of a sudden, that's thirty-eight electoral votes right out the. Right. Then you'll start hearing Republicans talk about changing electoral college. Guarantee you that. Oh, oh yeah. That discussion will begin right. the day after the election. Oh, of course. No, that, we, we got gun control after the Black Panthers. 
started walking around with guns yeah. in the open in, in California, Reagan. Yeah, the Reagan. It, yeah, but he since, introduced gun control. Well, that ended the day they they successfully uh, sort of annihilated the Black Panther Party. Right, right, uh, exactly. Then the gun control yeah, the, the, uh, went out the window. By the way, I, I haven't asked you this about uh, this interesting counterattack that I've just been following. I I I have a confession to make, Monroe. I read Breitbart. I read John Cass. Uh, I read the National Review. I read the Republican counterattacks. I'm just yeah. always curious to see what they're up to. I, I look at them. But you look at you won't read them. They aren't good for my blood always, pressure. I always forget. I just have to always clarify. Does Cass owe you his job or does Axelrod? I always forget which one of them. Cass, which Cass? Axelrod. Okay, not Axelrod. All right. Anyway, Johnny Cass from the uh, Chicago Tribune. Uh, he's always interesting. When Trump's in, in trouble, he wrote a column about Clinton or Obama. Oh, that's what he, the, oh, that's, this is <laughs> what the right does yeah, you know man. i mean they 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 have this um hobby yeah uh, of uh called what about yes what, what about ism so if 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 you say that um for example that clinton was hanging out with epstein yeah. i mean if trump was hanging out with epstein they would go well what about bill clinton well, he was there too well yeah absolutely valid <laughs> yeah you know right. what i mean yeah. I, I agree with the epstein thing i could go on and on about epstein right, i right. mean uh, yeah, yeah right uh and i think but, both but uh, if the topic is trump yes I but, yeah right yeah. exactly i mean well it was interesting and, and frequently they have a, a false equivalence yeah i mean for example with with epstein um, Trump is uh, has been reported to have um, had some um, affection with a 13-year-old girl, whereas um, Clinton, so far, as, as the things go, he was just hanging out at the club, you know. Yeah, I, listen, the whole issue of people hung around with Jeffrey Epstein, knowing. Right. That uh, the man had been convicted uh, of being a sexual predator, trafficking in young girls. Right. That, that is just, it, it just shows a twisted mentality of people. I, I've often thought about this, how I would have reacted yeah. if, for someone, if Jeffrey Epstein had called me up. You know, how would you deal with that? This guy is convicted. You do a little Google search, you see he's got this well, conviction. So, some of this happened before his conviction. I'm talking about stuff that happened after 2008. It's already been yeah. 12 years, yeah. and Clinton was still in those airplanes with him, right. uh, and uh, Trump was his pal. So I, I um, and people knew what was going down. Yeah, now Trump it, fell out with him 15 years ago. Yeah, before be the conviction. Before the conviction, because I, I, I don't know if I said this on your show. Go no. ahead, say but it. No, no, no. Get in trouble. No, no, don't get you in any trouble. They were bidding <laughs> on the same property. Some mansion. Oh, they were bidding, and and, and and Epstein beat Trump out, and so he had nothing to do. You know, he had nothing to yeah, do with underage yeah, women, yeah, yeah, or right, underage exactly. girls. Yeah, right. Girls are one thing, but don't be beating me out on all a right. Property. So here's an interesting uh, counterattack. I've seen them all. Uh, I've seen I've seen all the counterattacks. Ilan Omar, the counterattacks with, with her putting anything. Uh, they throw her out whenever they can, and now she's got. I don't know if you know that she's in a domestic scandal, uh, and uh, so they're going to throw that out to divert attention from Trump's oh, uh, yeah. womanizing and Roy Moore, et cetera. Okay, uh, but um, this is an interesting one. So we have the uh, Amazon forest in Brazil burning. Yes. All right. Uh, it was a very compelling, scary uh, factoid that we don't really talk about. Uh, I haven't talked enough about on this show. It's an existential crisis, Monroe. It's very frightening. Yes. And um, so there's you, you this. Know, because, yeah, because the Amazon rainforest. Yeah, is on fire. <laughs> it's on fire. And it provides 20% of the world's oxygen. Yeah. 
So it's a scary thing. Yeah. All right? Yeah, it's right. a very scary right. thing. Just like 20% of the world's fresh water is the Great Lakes. And so imagine the Great Lakes were, were being poisoned or something like that. Well, to a certain degree, the Great Lakes are being poisoned. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> They're not burning. So, Although I, Erie did burn at one time. But. So the, the, the official position of the Trump administration, as best I can tell on global warming, is that it doesn't exist. Uh, and uh, this is an insane position to take. Oh, yeah, take. He, Trump skipped the uh, climate change yes. meeting. Portion of the G7. Portion of the G7. G7, because he didn't want to have to deal with the issue and confront and it. And typical Trump, he lied about it and said he had a meeting with um, the uh, president of Germany and somebody else, but they were in the meeting yeah. that he skipped. So, all right, so this is the, the official position of the Trump administration, which has become the official position of the Republican Party, uh, which is why it's so difficult for, quote-unquote, moderate, independent-minded Republicans to remain in the Republican Party because what they their position on climate change is insane. It's that it's a hoax contrived by the Chinese government to uh, undercut our investment in our industries, that, people to, that we need to have a thriving economy, uh, even though many of these industries are outdated and we should probably should be shifting away from them uh, but anyway uh so this is the official policy of the trump administration on this uh and so we have these embarrassing moments like and scary moments like the amazon rainforest is under fire like right. lake erie remember in the 70s right, exactly. was on fire exactly. okay all right so what does a breitbart do they write a scathing column article about obama follow me on this monroe obama um and Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, paying, I think it was $15 million for a beach point, beachfront property or on Martha's Vineyard, which is an island off the coast of Boston, just off of Massachusetts. Yeah. All right. It's a very fancy island. A lot of rich people like to go there. The Obamas have fallen in love with it. They right. have bought property. Yeah. And the Breitbart column uh, article uh, is dedicated the proposition that, follow me this, this shows that Barack Obama in his heart of hearts believes that climate change is a hoax because nobody would pay $15 million for property on Martha's Vineyard if they felt as though the oceans were rising and in one day the oceans would overcome their property. So I'm reading this and I'm like, this is your art. This is where you're well, at right okay. now. Okay, so th that that means you're selling your beachfront property in Miami, right? Yo, oh, Donald John Trump. <laughs> no, you are. Oh, yeah. yeah you, you're selling your beachfront property because it's going to flood out. So yeah, you, do, you do have beachfront property in, in Miami, right? Oh, uh, no. Me, personally? <laughs> yes. No. I don't have beachfront property anywhere. <laughs> I, but I'm just like, this is the republic. This is this is the counterpunch. I'm not quite sure what to make of it. I'm going to uh, see what Micah has to say about this when he comes on. Maybe he has an effective counterpunch to this. But the notion that somehow or other, Barack Obama, as hard as hearts, does not believe believe that climate change is real, thinks it's a hoax, but only says uh, it's real so he could fool voters like Micah or Monroe or Miles or Dennis, who might be sensitive to the issue. And the proof is that he just purchased property on an island, Martha's Vineyard. How do you deal with that, Monroe? You know, I can't deal with their logic whatsoever because it's none. I mean, it's, I mean when, when they talk about the deep state and how all these different people hate Trump, you know, well, 
Why does he hate Trump? They just talk about how how everybody hates Trump, but they don't give you a reason. Yeah. You know, like the fact that he's a Russian um, tool and that he's a crook and he's a liar. They don't talk about that stuff. It's just there's all this hatred out there by those other folks yeah. for our there's guy, so, uh, our, guy our, our, our Lord Trump. Yeah. Uh, by the way, there, there's a whole other issue there. It looks as though Adam McCabe, the uh, former FBI uh, operative may be uh, facing the Trumpsters are going after him hard. That's a, a whole other story we'll do at another time. Uh, Micah has entered the room. We're going to bring him on in a little bit uh, to broaden the discussion. Talk about Bernie. He's very excited. He finished his Bernie book. He's got that Bernie tattoo right there on his arm. We can all see it. Uh, and uh, so we're going to bring Micah on and get his thoughts on how uh, the uh, the great uh, counterpunch on climate change that the Republicans have come up, uh, come up with. We'll be right back after this. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. I believe um, Lucy Flores. Uh, I believe that uh, the vice president put a statement out today. He's going to decide whether he's going to run or not. And then the American people, if he does, will decide you know, whether they support him or not. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back our show. And, of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends, 
at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Maybe. Try it again. Hold on a second. Having a little computer malfunction, guys. So what do you think oh of my. us Oh, my. What was that? I have no clue. Hang tight with me, everybody. Yeah, we're definitely editing this out of the uh, show today. All right, here we go. It is Wednesday, August 28th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue... This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we still got Monroe Anderson in studio. We welcome back Jacobin writer, author, and Bernie lover, Micah Udrich. And we welcome Cook County Commissioner, Brandon Johnson. And now your host... Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Mike has joined us. He's sitting right next to Monroe. Peace reigns. Uh, one is for Bernie. The other one's for, well, he's sort of for Biden and Warren. Uh, but I'm not quite sure which way the wind is blowing today. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, and we'll get Warren. into uh, Warren. Sorry, Warren. So one's for Bernie, one's for Warren. They're neck and neck in the polls right now. Uh, we'll broaden the conversation. Also get Mike. Mike had a great line, comeback about uh, Breitbart. We'll get to that in a little bit. D, you got an update for us? Absolutely, I do. And then there were two. Today, Illinois Democratic Congressman Bill Foster issued the following statement in support of the U.S. House of Representatives opening an impeachment inquiry of President Donald Trump. Here's the quote in the press release from Foster. Quote, I take no pleasure in announcing my support for the House to begin an impeachment inquiry into the president of the United States. So, Ben, add another to the Illinois congressmen or women to that list of those favoring impeachment. Yeah, uh, Foster, Raja, Lauren Underwood. Like you said, yeah, it was announced earlier in the week that our good friend and congressman, Raja Krishnamurthy, announced in favor of giving the the boot to Trump. Here's more from Foster, though. Quote, I have watched with horror as President Trump has perpetrated an assault on American values. In word and deed, President Trump has demonstrated an utter disregard for the rule of law and the fundamental principles that make up the foundation of our democracy. Foster becomes the 11th member of the Illinois congressional delegation to announce explicit support for an impeachment inquiry. The state sends 13 Democrats and five Republicans to the House. So, like I said earlier, we are now down to two. The two other Illinois Democrats in the House, Representatives Sherry Bustos oh, and Lipinski. And Dan Lipinski. Yeah. Holding out there, huh? <laughs> I don't know. I got to see more evidence. By the way, this is not to kick him out of office. This is just to launch the inquiry, all right? So it's like... Well, we I, know where the inquiry is going. Okay, I well, yeah, I, was, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, Mike, I would not say this is like profiles and courage here. You know what I'm saying? This is just the start. The, this, yes, I agree with you. I mean, I'm, I'm personally not putting all my eggs in the basket of impeachment, but clearly, if we're just talking about things that Trump deserves, I mean, Trump deserves to be like locked up in the stockades in front of you know the White House for what for what he's done. But uh, yeah, it's not just to open up the inquiry uh, is not exactly exactly uh you know the, the most bold and brave stance that somebody could take uh and uh your sense we monroe and i already put the notion out that uh, it's two-pronged one uh, there were these 
the moderate Democrats like Foster are a little concerned about a uh, challenge, a primary challenge from the left. Uh, also, there's a possibility. Lipinski too, yeah. Yeah, Lipinski. Well, he's still holding out. He's already being challenged. I, he's, hey, I guess he figures that he's got several challengers in that race. So he, why budge from where he is? They're going to divide up the anti-Lipinski yeah, Plus, he's a uh, Republican in sheep's clothing. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah, true. Uh, yeah. Except for he's uh, he's a little uh, more liberal in uh, union issues yeah. uh, than most Republicans are. Right. Uh, but uh, what does it matter if you're effectively got a Republican president and a Republican Senate uh, that's uh, turning the tides against the unions? Uh, so, Micah, so uh, so uh, going back to the Breitbart comment, I just have you had a very effective retort. I laid out the argument that Breitbart made. Uh, and, uh, you know, that the, the Obama was a hypocrite uh, uh, because he bought uh, property on Martha's Vineyard and Island off the coast of Ma- uh, Massachusetts. And I said, so what do you think about it? And your response to me was? Well, you can sit here and read, you know, and reread Breitbart and like try to parse together. Like, well, what is the logic here? And well, wait, no, that doesn't make any sense. Breitbart doesn't operate like a normal publication, which is like, here's some facts, here's an argument, and, you know, respond to that. It's like trying to throw you, it's trying to get you to get into that headspace where you're wrestling with the insane and, you know, the insane arguments they're putting forward based mostly on lies. So anytime you're in that headspace where you have to do those, like, the intellectual acrobatics to even figure out what they're trying to, they won. Like, yeah. they, that's what they want. They want to distract you. They want to sort of throw you off your game. They're just like a noise machine. It's yeah. just like throwing stuff out there to try to set the narrative and even if you're arguing against the narrative that they're putting forward they win because you're still arguing on the terms that they've put forward right you're introducing the idea uh, that they're that they're trying to get introduced into the the bloodstream of the political discourse of the day uh so just don't you know just don't it's, don't read it's, it. it's <laughs> very similar to uh they've I mean, either they wrote the playbook that Trump is following or Trump wrote the playbook that they're following, but it's the same exact thing that Trump does. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yes. And uh, so the Democrats are going to have to deal with this one way or the other because Donald Trump will advance it uh, in the debate. But before we get to that, uh, tell folks about your book. You just completed your book about Bernie Sanders. Well, we finished the first draft. You know, I, won't, I don't want to claim that it's done, but uh, I co-wrote a book tentatively titled Bigger Than Bernie with a staff writer from Jacobin, uh, where I'm an editor named Megan Day and it is about it's about Bernie Sanders but it's also about the larger movement that has taken off after his 2016 campaign and what we've learned about people who are running for office as socialists or people who are putting forward a big bold left-wing agenda Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Rashida Tlaib the six city council members who won recently in Chicago on the, uh, who all are members of the Democratic Socialists of America it's taking stock of that movement and wrestling with what are the lessons that we can take for American politics for this and as you may be able to guess it comes from a, a, a pretty partisan place of wanting to see Bernie Sanders win but also wanting to see a bigger movement emerge out of his campaign what, whatever happens in the 2020 election well you must be very encouraged uh, on the front of wanting to see Bernie Sanders win uh, by the recent poll that came out I think it was the Mammoth poll we talked about it yesterday uh, where in this poll Bernie went up five points or so or Elizabeth Warren went up about six points and uh, I think it was reversed uh, just, for the, <laughs> just for the record <laughs> all right let's out uh, doing it off the top of my head but uh, a Bernie guy to the end uh, actually Ben yeah 
You know what? I sit corrected here. I look back and it was six and five. Good memory. Uh, and uh, the big news for uh, Bernie supporters is that Joe Biden fell in the poll uh, by 13 points. And so there, there's effect of 2020-19. So it's a pretty much a tie. Uh, and this is the first time that Bernie, I think, in a, uh, in a major poll has been ahead of Biden. Uh, so what's your thoughts about this? There's a couple things about it. I mean, one, if you watch Biden on the campaign trail right now, I'm feeling I'm I'm feeling just kind of bad for the guy. I mean, it's like, why are they putting him out here? He's saying that Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy were assassinated in the late 70s. He's, you know, forgetting names of agencies that he supposedly has plans for. I mean, I, I don't want to do a sort of a low blow attack on the guy, but it is kind of like the guy seems to lose it. He had to say on the campaign trail the other day, the exact quote was something like, just to be clear... I'm not going nuts. And again, if you have to say that on the campaign trail, that is not a good sign. That's like the Breitbart thing. You know, you introduce something and, and all of a sudden everybody's like talking about, oh, maybe he is going nuts. You know? Just to be clear. But I like the first, just to be clear. Oh, well, now we got that clarified. Yeah, exactly. And to put all, yeah. all questions about that to rest. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't believe that the kind of political vision that Biden is putting forward is one that is exciting certainly to me certainly to large numbers of people around the country uh, it's not you know he's he's in fundraisers on the in manhattan telling a bunch of rich people that nothing will fundamentally change under a joe biden administration i mean it's it's sort of more of the same of a kind of tepid tepid centered left democratic party uh that has dominated most of the the party at the at the top levels for the past you know, three decades at least. So to see, you know, and I, that's that's not new. That part is not new. Uh, what is new is that you have somebody like Bernie putting forward an actual political alternative and people are buying it. And you've got polls showing him, you know, tied with Warren for first place for the first time. So it's it's not just that a political alternative exists, but that people actually are interested in it. They're, they're saying they're willing to uh, to get on board with it. They're not scared off by the, this guy using this scary word socialism. They actually think maybe that's a, a better alternative since the status quo isn't working too well. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a vindication of the strategy that Sanders has basically been, you know, uh, uh, on his, in, in his entire career, right? Is that like he uh, stayed true to what he believed he didn't sort of try to put his finger in the air and see where the American people were at and then adjust based on that. He put forward a moral vision and the rest of society after several decades has sort of caught up to him. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that is a really noble and courageous way to do politics, certainly more than, you know, saying that you're for uh, locking up, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of millions of black people one year and then a decade later, actually, you're against that or saying that uh, you're for unions, but then not really doing anything for them, you know, a couple years later. Uh, it's it's a it's a mor moral clarity that I think is uh, not something we're particularly used to in American politics, but uh, it's it's a very, very good thing. And it's bearing political fruit. Your response, yeah. young man? Well, for the record, that poll was an outlier. Uh, two more came out today, and they had firmly up by double digits again. I mean, uh, uh, Biden. Is that right? I missed yes, that news. Yes, yes. I missed that yeah, news. Yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know... Um, well, all these polls, you can't, you know, put too much stock in any of them. Right? I'm putting a lot of stock in one of them. Exactly. Exactly. Like, Whoa, exactly. exactly. No, but no, I mean the Bernie one. That I mean, Bernie yeah. thing yeah. these right. days. No, right. Uh, no, for, for all of them. Um, and 
there are those, and I'm not Biden. I'm not anti-Biden, but I'm not for Biden. No, I know. You've got to been pushed into the Biden thing, and it's kind of funny that it's happened because he really is a lefty. Right, uh, right. Okay, but but there, there are those who are arguing that what they want right now is predictability and yes. and moderation. I know right? this argument. You know they want to well. be. You know they 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 want to be put to sleep. And Biden would do that. Yeah. Basically, I mean that this. I mean because Trump is so dramatic now. I I personally like the idea of of of, of letting the pendulum swing, to have a full swing. So we have somebody from the left to um, go go up against all this horrible stuff Trump has done mm-hmm. and, and to correct as much of it as quickly as possible. Um, but I personally think um, Warren would be better for that. For uh, It's not that much difference between their philosophies, Warren and, and, and Bernie's, um, but Bernie comes off to me as some crusty old man yelling, get off my lawn. Whereas um, Warren um, just, she has an explanation for things. She does it very well. And she is learning. She's not there yet, but she's learning how to campaign better. Because at first, she, she was coming off as a school marm or something. Michael, what's your thoughts on uh, uh, Warren versus Bernie? Well, I'm a fan of Warren to some degree, at least much more than the rest of, most of the rest of the Democratic Party. I actually... Maybe I mentioned this on the show before. I, uh, the first political donation I ever gave was twenty bucks to Elizabeth Warren's uh, Senate campaign in Massachusetts in the when was that mid two thousands. So you know, I I think there's a lot of really noble uh, and admirable stuff about uh, Warren, uh, but I also think that she and Bernie are running very fundamentally different campaigns. I mean, they they have a different fundamental worldview, like about how social change happens in society. Bernie argues that you need to create a bottom-up movement, right? That's his whole campaign slogan about not me, us, right? Not me, the president, but us, everybody, you know, a broad movement fighting for Medicare for all and Green New Deal and all of that stuff versus Elizabeth Warren, who has some, some strong plans for policy changes that need to happen, but it's the focus of her campaign is on the plans. It's a kind of technocratic, like I'm gonna, you know, tweak the knobs and and change the stuff at the top, and then we'll be able to fix stuff. Rather than Bernie, the sort of bottom up, like we need to radically rehaul the entire system. He's also somebody who has a willingness to go up against the forces that are preventing us from having a better world. I don't know if you saw. Just uh, yesterday, I believe, the uh, New York Times article uh, focusing on how Warren is yeah. sort of quietly making peace with the power brokers of the Democratic Party. And I think one of the lines from the article was she's to the left of where they would like her to be, but she has shown that she is a team player, that she's willing to, uh, you know, not just uh, throw rocks at the, at the party leadership, but sort of somebody that they can play ball with versus Bernie, who obviously is not taking that, <laughs> that uh, approach at all. Yeah. I mean, there, he, an interview yesterday, he's, yeah. he, you know, an interviewer asked him, are somebody from uh, third way, the uh, centrist democratic think tank asked, are you an they said that he's an existential threat to the democratic party uh, leadership and the establishment and the reporter asked him are you a threat to the democratic party establishment he said yes i am uh, because i want to take on these people i want it to be a party that fights for the working class like i i think that the the path to getting to 
where we can actually make social change goes through like really taking on the power brokers, whether it's healthcare CEOs or centrist uh, leaders of the Democratic Party. He's he wants to fight them. And that's the vision of change that I share. I think that it requires that kind of willingness to do battle with the forces who are preventing us or actively doing evil in the world uh, in order to make that change happen, not just having some good plans and not making technocratic tweaks in order to make the world better. Well, at some point, uh, if I haven't seen the latest polls that you just cited, yeah. uh, Monroe, so I don't know where Warren falls in that. You said uh, Biden's up by 12 points, yeah. backed up 12 points. I have to see these polls. And, and um, Bernie's in number two and Warren's in number three. Neck and neck, yeah. probably. Okay. Well, she, she may be a point or two under. And, you know, it's two different polls. The reason I've paid attention to them yeah. is, is because um, it was to, rather to see whether Steimer, Steimer was going to be on the debate stage. Oh, Steyer, Tom Steyer, Steyer, yeah. and yeah. he's not. So oh, he's have. that's that is official. Uh, breaking of, news. Yeah, right. Uh, the ben uh, right, show. Exactly. Tom Steyer, the billionaire from it, California. Exactly. Unless there's some other poll that we don't know okay. about that happens between now and midnight. I see. All right, uh, but sooner or later, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are going to have to confront one another. Yeah, on the and, next debate. Uh, yeah, which is coming up. Because, <laughs> right. uh, Micah, the, the last time I predicted I was wrong, I said they were going to watch it, folks. They're going to go at it tonight. This is the night. And what did they do? They joined forces right. uh, to fight off the moderates. Right. right. And, and uh, did a good job. And did a very good job. Yeah. And I thought Elizabeth Warren did very well in that debate. Uh, and I was almost drinking the Elizabeth Warren Kool-Aid for a moment. Uh, but... So if, I just feel like if they're neck and neck and um, they are sharing essentially the same left of center uh, uh, constituency, and we're going to have Brandon Johnson, you told me, he's an Elizabeth Warren uh, supporter coming in to talk about it. Sooner or later, they're going to have to just make a more determined fight against each other uh, to get to, to stake out that constituency because otherwise they're just going to uh, right. keep well, splitting so they, the and, vote. And, and, but there's another factor, and it's sex. I th- um, I th- a lot of people, particularly on the left, want a woman in the White House. And so I think Elizabeth gets the edge on as a result one. of that. Yeah, because they, they, they really do want to see something different. Micah, your thoughts on that? Well, I was going to respond to something you just said about them having the same constituency within the party, which I, I don't think is quite true. There's some recent polling out that shows what the, the economic and racial demographics of the various camps supporting the various candidates are. And it's clear that Warren's camp and Bernie's camp are very different groups of people. Bernie's constituency is actually, I believe, majority people of color or plurality people. I guess, yeah, majority people of color, at least a, a much larger percentage of people of color than Warren's, uh, a much more working class base. There, a few a month or two ago, the uh, you know right. came out that the the most common employer for uh, donors to the Bernie Sanders campaign was Walmart, and I for some reason I don't think it was. Uh, People from the corporate office in Arkansas who were uh, making those yeah, donations. No, she, she, uh, Elizabeth has the intellectuals in the, the upper middle class, yeah, yeah, white, yeah, you know, yeah, people with master's yeah. degrees, kind yeah. of thing. Um, and so, I, I do think there's a different base to each uh, the supporters of each uh, candidate. But uh, it's hard to it's hard to imagine them really going after each other. I mean, even in 2016, Bernie really did not, you know unleash the fire on uh, Hillary Clinton in the way that he 
could have when he was debating with her on the stage. And he's made clear over and over again that he has a very fundamental respect for Warren, and I think it's shared either way. So I, it, it's hard for me to imagine the two of them really slugging it out on the debate stage, given the longstanding well, relationship. I'll, let's picking have. up on what you said, and I read that very New York Times article that you were alluding to, and and the theme of the article, uh, Monroe, as Michael was saying, was that uh, Elizabeth Warren is letting. Uh, people in the Democratic Party know uh, that she's not an extremist, that she uh, can work well with Democratic, mainstream Democratic politicians, that by electing her, they shouldn't be alarmed, that she's going to be concerned about the impact her campaign has on uh, bottom of the ballot races. Uh, And so do not fear her campaign. Uh, she's, and it's sort of a variation of her saying, I'm a capitalist. Remember when she said that one, Micah? And I think at some point at a debate or at a, a meeting where she and Bernie are on the sh- stage together, uh, she's going to be more direct about that to, to, to sort of draw a contrast between herself and Bernie. And a lot of people are scared. Well, I put it this way. Democrats are scared of Bernie. All right, in in their regard, that somehow their notion is that he's too far left, and that swing voters will just rush to Trump because they're worried about the fact that Bernie in the 1980s may have gone to Nicaragua or something like, like yeah. that without his shirt on. I can't remember was Russia without the shirt or Nicaragua Russia without, without the, the shirt, shirt on. Yeah, just Nicaragua with the shirt. The shirt. <laughs> yes. See, and I maintain that the swing voters will stay home. They won't go out to vote. They aren't going to rush to Trump. Well, uh, the Bernie campaign's explicit strategy is to bring in the, uh, not swing voters, but the people who don't normally vote in elections like this. They're they're going out trying to excite people who are normally are pretty dejected about American politics. That is what, you know, they're, they're again, putting forward a, a, a bold vision, a sort of, this is not business as usual. We're doing something qualitatively different from what usually goes on in politics, and you should get excited about that. Uh, and they've seemingly had a lot of success in doing that, versus someone like Elizabeth Warren, who, as you mentioned, is sending these signals to the Democratic establishment, you can play ball with me. You know, I'm, I'm somebody who uh, is demanding things that you and your party's uh, big donors might not like, but, you know, I'm not an unreasonable person. Do you buy it, Monroe? Yeah, yeah, I, I think the, the, the art of politics is to be able to compromise, to bring people in who don't completely agree with you. Mm-hmm but uh, where you form some sort of coalition or not. And that's what she's in the process of doing. Um, Bernie's more hardcore on that. Um, I got to tell you, I'm I'm all over the map on this one. Uh, The whole art of compromise, I understand that's uh, how politics is played. But I think there's been so much compromise. I've been following what's going on in Newark. I don't know if you gentlemen have been following that. The 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 water. The the water situation in New York and the mayor of Newark. And uh, that's that's a Miriam um, um, Baraka's son. Yes, I know that. I know. Very familiar with that. He's his son. And uh, he's not handled himself very well on this issue, where at one point he was assured residents that don't worry the water's safe don't believe he sounded trump like don't worry the water's safe you could drink the water blah blah now it turns out the water was never safe not you know? just trump though you remember uh, uh, obama did that in flint that one point reassured people that the water did obama do that yeah, i, I so. can't remember do I, am i having obama amnesia <laughs> is that a breitbart moment you're coming right back at me with obama did it? i do not remember did obama i, sure? I don't we'll remember. we'll have to ask brandon johnson knows absolutely everything about everything uh whether obama uh, made uh, that assurance and flint he's shaking his head no we're going to bring him on real soon but I, 
So I do believe that the Democrats have been guilty of. I, when I take a look at Chicago politics, yeah. I really well, believe. Well, that's you the can't case. use Chicago politics for for anything. You know, Chicago is in a, a class all of its own. Yeah, low class. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> for uh, sure. All right. That is Monroe Anderson. As I said, Brandon Johnson's on deck. We're going to bring him on. Take a break. Uh, Michael will stick around. I'm sure. Uh, I. Mike Brandon has already been uh, outed on the show as an Elizabeth Warren supporter. I'm not sure if that's true. Are you, is he nodding your head? No, he's not nodding his head. Uh-oh, we, gotta, uh, we may have Brandon uh, setting the record straight when he comes on. We'll be right back after this. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Hannibal Burris. The real reason I came home is just because I was trapped. Traveling a lot anyway. I wasn't in New York that much, and I don't have a full-time job in New York. I work a lot, but I'm not in New York, so it was just like I don't, I don't need to be here anymore. And, I, and also, I just wanted to work on different stuff here in Chicago. So I have this center that I'm working on on the West Side, Melvina Masterminds. It's gonna be arts and and then a tech program and after-school programming for uh, kids in the, in the North Austin area. So just wanted to be back. There we go. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th All right, can you feel it in the air, everybody? It's almost football season, which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago want to offer you, yes, you, the listener, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Don't miss a game this season. Get all the big plays and scores and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet, only $29.99 for a full, that's F-U-L-L, a full year of all the news and sports that you need to know. Stay up to date on breaking stories, get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters, and go deep inside City Hall with best-in-class political reporting and, of course, Cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city. I know Ben Jarossi is going to be cheering for the best team in the city. Isn't that right, Ben? Make that football noise. Ready, set, 2020. Yeah. Hut, hut. Ready, set, 2020. <laughs> and ready, set, 29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. You cannot do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. 
live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. Uh, Monroe Anderson has left the building. Monroe Anderson has left the building. But Brandon Johnson, Cook County uh, Commissioner, has uh, entered the room and seated himself in front of the mic. Micah is still here. We're going to ask uh, Brandon about his presidential endorsement. We're going to ask him about Obama in Flint and the water. We're going to ask him what grade to give Lori Life. Everybody's giving Lori Life for a grade. We'll see what the commissioner uh, from the Cook County Board from the west side gives her. We're going to ask for a CTU update. How about that? Lots of things we're going to ask Brandon oh, Johnson about as he's sitting right here. And Micah, <laughs> Micah's going to be sitting right there firing questions at Brandon as well. So uh, really looking forward to this. But before we, and also we'll ask him, since you brought up football, Brandon's a huge sports fan. We'll get his uh, predictions about the Chicago Bears, his beloved Chicago Bears. Uh, something he shares in common with Lori Lightfoot. They both love the <laughs> Chicago Bears, all right? So we'll get to all that. Uh, before we do that, D, you got an update? Absolutely, I do. Brandon, I hope you brought a lunch. My goodness, that's a lot of talking you're going to be doing, my friend. All right, uh, today marks the 100th day that Lori Lightfoot has been the mayor of Chicago. She gave a speech today. I have some audio of the speech. Let's but just not go. the speech. Well, she gave a speech today. Yeah, but not the speech. Oh, you're talking about tomorrow. The speech. Well, yeah, what's okay. that speech you re- you're referring to in such an odd way, Ben? The budget speech. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. She's going to tell us how to solve all our problems. Go ahead. Yeah, now here's this this speech yeah. from today. <laughs> Someone's asking her a question. Look, I, I think this is early days, and so what we're mostly um, engaged in is a conversation about, you know, what the size of the deficit and the gap looks like uh, for next year. Um, I think there's some jaw-dropping moments when um, we get to that part of the discussion, and you know, we're filling them in on a lot of things that have been circulating and, and buzzing. Um, and asking for their help, so it's it's a different kind of conversation, I think, than what maybe you're you're perceiving it. All right, so you can go listen to the rest of that speech online. Speech or a press conference. Oh, it's a press conference. Yeah. My apologies, yeah. uh, but yeah, you can you can watch more of that online. Go check it out. Ben's been partying all day. Oh, hey. <laughs> Put that thing away. Yeah. It's so annoying. Uh-huh. Oh, and uh, also, too, find us on Facebook at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show on Facebook and Twitter. We are Facebook video live streaming at the moment. And hey, if you've yet to like the page on Facebook, go do it. We're waiting to hit 2,000 likes on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. As soon as we hit 2,000 likes, we're going to have ourselves a Lori Lightfoot caption contest. All right. Oh, so if you've already liked the Ben Jarofsky Show on Facebook, share that Facebook video live stream tell your friends go like the page at benny j show b-e-n-n-y the letter j show ben spell that last name for him oh, i haven't done this in a while j-o-r-a-v as in victory s-k what what hey in case i ever forget it it's right here there you right. go the facebook factor. video live watchers I there. i have that just in case micah you never know oh and uh, you guys talked about this earlier uh barack obama uh yeah he did uh mention that about the flint water he took a drink of the water i have a audio of that as well if you guys want to hear that just hang tight with All me right. here's our breitbart moment oh this thing wants <laughs> me to pay an ad yeah. All right, here we go let's see what we got oh gotta hit it uh, off mute Live radio or podcasting. There you go. You know, generally, I have not been doing stunts here, but, you know. Oh, he's drinking it. And uh, this used uh, a filter. Um, you know, the water around this table, uh, you know, was plant water that was filtered. And it just confirms uh, what we know scientifically, which is 
that uh, if you're using a filter, if you're installing it, uh, then Flint water at this point is drinkable. Okay, with a filter. Okay, <laughs> we'll put an asterisk next to that. He had a filter, and uh, I didn't mean to take us down a whole Obama <laughs> Flint water rabbit hole here. I yeah. apologize. Uh, it's all right, but it was the filter. Let's just not forget the filter aspect of it. Right, but uh, I think the image of Obama drinking drinking Flint water, water is a little yeah. bit more yeah. powerful. Well, that you know, caveats. politicians have to do that. They have to reassure the public that uh, they're on top of things. But uh, I think that you you run a risk if you go too far in that direction, uh, Brandon. John Johnson, that you're burying the truth and you're exposing people to stuff that's dangerous. And so that's what I was getting. As long as at. Brandon doesn't drink the water, just yeah. don't go to Flint and drink. The water. Well, no stunts for me. I'll say, say that part at least, um, you know, but as far as, you know, as an elected official reinsuring people's confidence in the government's ability to deliver services, particularly public accommodations, you know, that that's the bare minimum in terms of my responsibility. You know, if I can't confidently assure people um, who quite frankly, pay my public salary um, that the government um, is not only working, but it's working to solve crises. It's working to ensure people have opportunities. Um, it's working to ensure safety. Mm-hmm. It's working to ensure that we eradicate you know, racism and all the other isms that, that harm people. Um, then why are you in the work? You know, so, but I think to your point, Ben, you know, stunts and going too far um, doesn't help our efforts either. We have to be very honest about whether government has fallen short. And that's why, of course, we're pushing for a more radical transformation, a bold agenda yeah. in this new progressive era. One that you've been fighting for for the last 47 years. <laughs> he loves throwing in the old guy. <laughs> it didn't take it's very like, long, did it? It didn't take him long. <laughs> Usually there's a compliment. Brandon's really shrewd. Yeah. Like he sticks some old guy dig in the middle of a cup. Ben, you know, you've been my uh, hero since I was uh, in diapers. <laughs> oh, thanks, I've, Brandon. I've, I'm I've old. Read- I've read all of your books, by the way, too. <laughs> yeah, he always loves to tell me that one, too. But, you know, when I think about this, I go back uh, to Rauner and the veterans' home uh, where the veterans were dying because of the poison water and in the... In the, in the and then the uh, emails come out. The, the, I think it was the Sunset Tribune. I can't remember which one published the emails where the Rauner administration was like trying to figure out a public relations uh, way to deal. So I know that my uh, progressive friends and my Democratic friends love to trounce Republicans when they're guilty of uh, bearing the truth. So that when they put their uh, their political interests at the top, but we. I mean, fair is fair. You got to go both ways because if people in Flint, Michigan or Newark are looking to Democrats to protect them and the Democrats are protecting their political interests as opposed to the people who are drinking the water, that's not very good for the people in Newark or uh, Flint, Michigan. Or anywhere. I think that's right, Ben. And you know, part of the work that I've been a part of for, I I guess it's been, you know, in in the recent formation, the last eight, nine years, we've taken on the Democratic Party, you know, particularly, you know, my work with the Chicago Teachers Union. And what we've seen for the last 10 years, and we've seen a shift, obviously, but where you have had Democratic mayors and Republican governors, that's been the nastiest combination. We saw that in, in, in New Jersey, right, with Chris Christie mm-hmm. and uh, Cory Booker. You saw that plan being developed here in Illinois with Rahner and Rahm, that this has been the approach to, to administer austerity. Um, you, know, you, know, you know, very um, harmful policies that have certainly you know, deeply impacted the, the working class folks, black, brown, white. And if, if we're not serious 
about critiquing both political parties, especially those of us who see um, politics through a more progressive transformational lens, then we're being disingenuous. And I think that's the point that you're making. And, 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 and truthfully, like I don't give compliments out very often. And these days, complimenting white men could be a political liability <laughs> for, for some people. But I think for, this is really one point. Where are you going with this? You know what I'm saying? Like this is, you know, at some point, I have to think about my own political career as I continue to make these type of statements. Yeah. But no, Ben, you've been on the front line and, you know, really critiquing the, the machine, if you will, here in Chicago for a long time. And I think it's important that we recognize that President Obama, um, you know, was wrong on education. He was. Um, he believed in privatization. We, we, we have to be honest um, that President Obama did deport the most, um, you know, uh, would-be immigrants uh, in, in, in an entire generation yeah. and beyond, right? And there's been enough blame, don't get me wrong, to go around with both political parties. But I think what keeps us honest and humble is our ability to critique the party that we typically vote for while also pushing back the extreme right-wing agenda. I think you can do both. Yes, I think you can do both. Uh, and it, it is a juggling act. Uh, on one level, I hold local officials, uh, Brandon, and you may say I'm unfair to do this, uh, to a higher level of accountability. I expect more. Part of the reason I was so disappointed with Mayor Rahm, your good friend, is that uh, hey, two, two could play that wow, game, Brandon. here we go. It's going <laughs> to be a long 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, part of the reason I was so hard on him is because he had the freedom, the luxury as the mayor of one of the most liberal cities in America to be really progressive. And he went the opposite direction. And so I really had a hard time dealing with that. Uh, whereas I'm quote unquote easier with uh, Obama, uh, who basically had Rahm's same policy, at least on education, you're absolutely correct. And Arnie Duncan uh, on education had the same policies because I do realize they're in a different political climate. They have to deal with Republicans and moderates and swing voters, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's a different standard that you're, no, uh, you're, you're, you're right about that, but I, I actually don't have a problem with your critique. In fact, what I've learned in my first nine months as an elected official is that I actually believe that we should have higher expectations for our local elected officials. And I've done it as an organizer, but what I can say, and it's hard to admit this, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't want people in my district or anywhere to take this the wrong way. I don't think we require enough from our elected officials. And again, in these first nine months, there have been asks of me that quite frankly, Ben, have not been that dynamic. And what worries me about that is that, of course, I am tethered to a deep movement that ultimately holds me accountable. But if we don't demand enough from our local elected officials, it's how you can end up in a very stagnated political space. And so someone like Rahm, who comes in having served two black presidents. I had to think about that yeah, one. Right. Yeah, you lost me. Yeah, Tony right. Morrison, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Bad. That was yeah, wrong, yeah, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Um, and came in with a, what, a 70% approval rating. Uh, the city had been governed by one family you know, for the last 50 years, whatever yeah. the numbers were, and that there were high hopes and expectations. And, and not only did he fall flat, it's been miserable that he doubled down on racist policies that have forced the exodus of black families, the closing of the largest number of schools in the history of America, um, the gutting of the uh, uh, the housing authority, where you've literally seen like a half a billion dollars, if not more, piled up while families are seeking refuge right here in the city of Chicago because it's not affordable any longer. 
I can go on and on about his failed policies. And that's why I think the moment that we're in now, and I'm glad to be joining you know, my good pastor's son, uh, a colleague here, and Micah, he doesn't like to admit that out loud. I didn't know that. Okay, that, okay, that his first <laughs> PK calling really, PK, his first calling was to actually win people to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, and now he's on a deeper mission, of course, is to expand socialism across it's America. One of the same. We're it's talking really about the same mission That's here. exactly the two fish. Man, to you know a lot. <laughs> well, it's part of my responsibility as a social studies teacher to know not just history, but the people that you're working with. I see. Um, and But but seriously, like we, we have an opportunity in this political moment to push a bold, progressive, radical agenda, we still are in that moment. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we have local elected officials, some of which, of course, that I serve with, um, that are more comfortable with the status quo, maintaining a certain decorum without pushing for real bold change. And it's why we're here, though. It's why I believe I was elected. I mean, Ben, you know, I was in T-shirts and hoodies a few years ago. Yeah, now, and now look at you. I know. I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't take a dig at the fact that I actually wore a suit today. Oh, you're looking Which good. I would make my grandfather very proud as he yeah, rested. No tie, piece. though. Well, I got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> okay. uh, I think the last time you were here, you were well-dressed as well. Uh, and uh, all right. Now, uh, moving aside from the moment from local issues, we'll come back to them and we'll talk about the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, we've been talking a lot about them uh, over the last couple of days, but uh, you said you were going to make an announcement regarding the presidential race. So you got a microphone in front of you. Make the announcement. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren for president of the United States. I'm endorsing her today. And um, I've always wanted theme music, by the way. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> you that. got your theme music. That's a big time. <laughs> if you could just see me now, mama. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the jacket, the nice the shirt. Jurassic show. The little button. Theme music, button. <laughs> he shaved. Yeah. Yes, my big announcement is uh, that I'm officially endorsing Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, for president of the United States. Now, why Elizabeth Warren? Yeah. You know, so for me, it's, it's a couple of things. Um, you know, one, you know, Senator Warren um, is not apologizing for her position on confronting not just white supremacy, but making sure that we're having a real dialogue and a conversation about race in America and moving policies that can actually help transform lives that have been marginalized for far too long. Barriers have been set up. Goalposts have been pushed back every time we begin to advance, particularly black people in America. You know, so her position around you know, how do we support historically black colleges and making sure that there's actual federal dollars that provide opportunities for families to go to school to pay for it. Um, her position around dealing with mortality rate um, in America, it's something that we don't talk about enough, but the number of children um, who essentially don't even get a real, real good shot uh, at, 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 at coming into existence because their mother um, is not proper, properly um, provided for, you know, on, on the front end. And the reason why that's important, I'm sure, Ben, I think you've seen this study where there was a recent study that came out how doctors don't believe black patients and their pain, mm -hmm. that's a real problem. And for Elizabeth Warren to actually want to address that um, in a real way um, was important to me. I think the other big thing is, of course, there are some themes that you know will be consistent across the progressive line. Obviously her position on, on Medicare um, for all, you know, her thinking around how do we reform our, 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 our criminal system and making sure that particularly at the, at the local level um, that we're looking at candidates you know, who will support an agenda that transforms our, our, our criminal system. Those are big things. I think the last thing is, you know, her position around public education. Um, she has not equivocated. She's a strong supporter of public schools. Um, not to mention she's committed to having a teacher 
um, actually uh, run the public schools um, for America, which I think is uh, shouldn't be revolutionary, but you know, in this political climate, it is. And yeah. so, those are just you know some brief highlights, you know, that I think are important. Well, you mentioned uh, education, and you would have been alluding to Barack Obama's failures on this uh, front. Uh, Barack and Artie Duncan were big supporters of charter schools, which, which is privatization. Uh, you take money from publicly, the public schools themselves, and you give it to private operators who run uh, their own little fiefdoms. And uh, so is your sense of things, uh, Brandon, that the charter uh, school movement has uh, is going in, it's going in reverse right now? Uh, we're, we're, we're like making up for all these years? I think they've, we've delivered a nice blow. I wouldn't say that it's going in complete reverse. Right. I mean, think about think about it, Ben, you know, the interests of corporations, I mean, do they ever really go away? Right. I mean, I think that we still are in a moment where we have to really put an end and bury, you know, the expansion of privatization. Do I believe that our work is certainly paid off? Absolutely. We have eliminated the Charter School Commission here in Illinois. Um, we've gotten some commitment from the Chicago Public Schools not to expand charter schools. You're seeing a breakout across America nationally where you have teachers rising up teacher voices that are rising up teachers unions are rising up and the fact that you have for the most part every major candidate running for for president on the democratic side that has taken a more radical progressive approach um, towards how we deliver public accommodations particularly public schools to the american people it's only a testament to the work that we've done here in chicago mm-hmm. um, i appreciate elizabeth warren's energy of course as a teacher you know, she certainly um, reflects um, the energy that a teacher has. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that, you know, she has not taken, you know, corporate dollars, that she's spending time one-on-one with individuals, um, that's important to me. And I'm not saying that, you know, look, running for president is tough. I've ran for office here locally. I had to raise almost darn near a million dollars, mm-hmm. right, to, to, to win a county seat. So I know it's very difficult to do that without taking PAC money. I took it from unions, working class families. You know, but again, her commitment to expanding public accommodations is something that's dear to me, particularly, man, because I represent people on the west side of Chicago, western suburbs. You know, public accommodations have made black families whole. Public accommodations have made white folks whole, right? But I think in, particularly in this context, as there is a doubling down of like these austerity budgets, cuts, closures, consolidations, efficiencies, right-sizing stuff. Those are all buzzwords for destroying black families uh, that her approach towards expanding those opportunities, that certainly has appealed to me. But again, the most important thing is she's not afraid to confront the issue of race. Mm -hmm. That's important to me. You can't not have a conversation in America without having a conversation about race explicitly. Uh, Micah, before we go to break and then change the subject to local issues, uh, you're sort of our Bernie guy in here today. What's your response to uh, what uh, Brandon's had to say? Well, I have no real substantive disagreements with a lot of what Brandon just said, uh, especially you know, taking credit for the sea change in how we talk about public education in America. I think that started with the Chicago Teachers Union going on strike in 2012 and really changing, you know, less than a decade ago, the Democratic Party was at a very, very different place than we're at right now when it comes to public education and, and charter issues. Um, and I come from everything I'm about to say with also great respect for, for Brandon and for the union and for everything that he's he and they have done on, on that front. I would just say that I think that uh, given on that issue, for example, public education, the way we got to a transformed political conversation was through working class, 
you know, rank and file Chicago Teachers Union members going on strike and, and you know, withdrawing their labor and telling Rahm Emanuel, no, you're not going to shove this kind of corporate reform down our throats. And I think we need more of that in all kinds of different forms around society in order to make the kind of changes that we need. And I think that that, that, that is something that Bernie Sanders believes very strongly. I, I don't think uh, Warren would say she disagrees with that. I just think that that's been more of a, a focus of the Sanders campaign thus far is, is trying to sort of uh, lift up those kind of struggles and stoke more of them. Uh, and you know that's why I think that Sanders is a stronger candidate. But of course, I agree with almost everything that, that Brandon said about Warren and, and, and do respect her pretty greatly. Look, Bernie's a good dude. I mean, no one's going to... And I was a Bernie delegate. You were a Bernie delegate. You were a you Bernie know, bro. I, was a, uh, I don't know if I was a Bernie bro. I don't know if he had bros back then. Because uh, we were just kind of being... We were barely wrangling ourselves together. Wait, time out of 2016? The I place was crawling with Bernie bros. Did we actually have that term, bros? Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, did we? All right, so yeah. somehow I missed that. So yeah. maybe that tells you where the genesis yeah, yeah. was, that it did not happen with black people. And, and again, like in all fairness, you know, and this is not a dig on Senator Sanders. I mean, but this is an area that he does struggle with. He does. He, it's, it's, he struggles with the ability to have a real honest conversation with something that, that he has said openly that he is not necessarily in favor of these, what he, what he would classify as identity politics. And, you know, just my critique to that is, though I agree we need a working class movement. I agree with that. But you don't have a revolution if you can't convince black people. Absolutely. You know, the 1619 Project tells you you don't have democracy in America without black people. Say it out loud. Don't be afraid to actually draw lines in the sand and say that if we're going to make our country whole, we have to protect the very people who not only built this nation, but continue to support a particular party election cycle after election cycle, and that every bad policy that has come from Republicans and Democrats, the people who have been impacted the most by it have been black families. We need all candidates to say that. And that's something that I'm convinced um, that Senator Warren will be a leader and not just that conversation, but again, moving policy that actually brings healing and wholeness to those very families. All right, that's Brandon Johnson. Mike is, is in the studio as well. We're going to take a brief break, come back, and talk about some of these local issues. I already alluded to them. Uh, Lori Lightfoot's 100 Days and the Chicago Teachers Union confronting Lori Lightfoot over the issue of more nurses, more librarians, and more counselors in the public schools instead of money spent on TIF programs. We'll be right back. It's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right, it's made entirely out of butter, and it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. 
The issue of gun safety, of course, is that the NRA has us in a chokehold. But so do the pharmaceutical companies, so do the health insurance companies, so do the fossil fuel companies, and so do the defense contractors. And none of this will change until we either pass a constitutional amendment or pass legislation that establishes public funding for federal campaigns. But for politicians, including my fellow candidates, who themselves have taken tens of thousands and in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars from these same corporate donors to think that they now have the moral authority to say, we're going to take Take them on. I, I don't think the Democratic Party should be surprised that so many Americans believe yada, yada, yada. It is time for us to start over with people who have not taken uh, donations from any of these corporations and can stay with real moral authority. That is over. We are going to establish public funding for federal campaigns. That's what we need to stand up to. We need to have a constitutional amendment. We need to have, we need to have legislation to do it. Thank and you. until we do it, it's just the same Thank old, you. same Thank old. Thanks, Marianne Williamson. Today's Ben Jarofsky show was brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, it is badass. Furniture, appliances, books, shelves, candles, you name it, they got it. It's a thrift, st uh, thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that brings you the Ben Jarofsky show. So if you are ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, Stop in and say thank you to Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway. And you can find more information at greenelementresale.com. Do they have candles? Oh, yeah, they do. Ben talks about them every day. He loves the candles at Green Element Resale. It's Green Element Resale. Go there and save money, money, money. Money, money. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, Michael Urich and uh, Brandon Johnson in the studio with me. One is for Bernie. The other is for Elizabeth Warren. They've been duking it out, but now we're going to uh, switch gears, talk some local politics. Do you have an update before I uh, turn it over to Brandon uh, here? Once again, just uh, find us on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show on Facebook and Twitter. As soon as we hit 2,000 likes on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, we will have ourselves a Lori Lightfoot caption contest. Tell your friends. All right. Before he was an elected official on the west side in the west suburbs, uh, a Cook County Board Commissioner, Brandon Johnson, uh, worked for the Chicago Teachers Union. He was an organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union. He was the guy, the orator on stage at Circle Campus, UIC, excuse me, uh, back in 2012, whipping up the crowd. They started booing Alderman Will Burns. Will Burns hasn't forgiven you yet, Brandon Johnson, for that one. Before that, he was a social studies teacher. So as you could see, he is of the teacher persuasion. And uh, are you still a member of the Chicago Teachers Union? I am still a dues-paying member, okay. and I actually still technically work for the Chicago Teachers Union. I did not know that. Do that. Okay. You're learning a lot today. <laughs> I'm learning, learning so much. Yeah. Uh, all right, so typically when I discuss the Chicago Teachers Union with my friends of the moderate Democratic persuasion, what we would call Dems, they're always mad at me. Uh, it's more in the old days they're mad at me because everybody knew how much I love Karen Lewis, and they go, they would, you know, they're too tough they're too hard they should cut a deal uh they should you know uh be more conciliatory is the general consensus that i would get from my friends of the dem persuasion uh and uh <laughs> ben you should be harder on them uh, uh and i have my own th uh, thoughts about that but let's get your thoughts about where we stand right now that sa same general theme uh is uh being uh, uttered uh, again as the teachers it seems as though they're not willing at this moment to sign on to a deal with mayor lightfoot even though she says it's a very generous contractual agreement what are the sticking points right now brandon between the ctu and mayor lightfoot well first of all there's nothing in writing um there is there's no language 
um, to codify any of the so-called presentations that she has indicated that she considers fair or reasonable. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the mayor of Chicago ran on the very platform that made her candidacy possible. You know, you mentioned Karen Lewis. You don't elect a black woman openly gay in Chicago if you do not have a Chicago Teachers Union that's led by Karen Lewis. This moment has been brought to you by a movement. The fact that she ran on that message and and is now um, distancing herself, um, retracting, um, is disappointing. And it's short-sighted on her part that if black families, brown families, working class families in this city, if we can't be made whole under the leadership of a black woman, what hope do we have? Right? You know, here's a woman who has indicated that she has been raised in a very modest, humble upbringing, who understands the value of elected representation from a school board that she now says she doesn't agree with. This is a woman that said we believe in social workers, nurses, counselors. She says she's agreed, she's agreed with all of that. And now that she's been sworn in, um, she is now, you know, backing away from promises that she made throughout the campaign. Here's what we're dealing with right now, Ben. We still have scores of schools in Chicago that do not have libraries, librarians. Fix it. We have schools that do not have nurses every single day. Most schools are nurse once a week. As we talked about lead, not just in Flint, but there's an uptick in lead um, here right here in Chicago. Children with asthma don't have access to a nurse every single day. That's not unreasonable. Think about the level of trauma that we've experienced in this city. And Ben, you've done some work in what was Cabrini Green. You've worked with families. You know how difficult it is for families to live and navigate in a city where violence becomes a regular part of the diet of this city. And so if we're going to eradicate the type of injustices that families have experienced for far too long, you got to start with our public schools. You got to guarantee a social worker. You got to guarantee counselors nurses for every single school. You have to have class sizes that are actually manageable. See, people who actually understand and live the experience of Chicago, I'm a black father with black children living in Austin, where we're faced with the epidemic of violence every single day. My oldest is 11 years old. At some point, he can't get dropped off. He's got to take the green line on his own. He's got to get on that Chicago Avenue bus on his own. What type of system you know, denies children the opportunity to learn in a safe environment where all of their needs are being addressed and met. One of the biggest things that we've done as a country, we've been able to help move black families forward, brown families forward through our public accommodations, particularly our public school system. Mayor Lightfoot has the authority and the ability to move marginalized families for the first time to the front of the line. Everybody else has an agenda, Ben. Everybody else wants to be first. Your corporations, your banks, your billionaires, your millionaires. Why are we always asking poor people, working class families, to wait for something that everybody agrees that we deserve? So you can't just pop off and say while you're running for office that these things are just and they're right. And then when you have the ability with a stroke of a pen to institute a corporate head tax, a LaSalle Street tax, she's got options declaring our TIFs to actually go to the taxing bodies that actually generate the revenue in the first place to secure basic needs for families. We're not talking about 
chandeliers for every kid having a saxophone. We're talking about making sure that children have access to a nurse every day, a social worker, a counselor, and to assure that class sizes are manageable. Manageable. That's not unreasonable. That's justice. Uh, I probably wouldn't have anything against every child having a saxophone or an instrument. I believe I'm being half, not really being just funny here. Yeah. We've got it, the music program right. in the Chicago public schools. We talk yep. about this all the time when the old timers come in, who are even older than I am, Brian. I know you have a hard time believing such a thing is possible, but they come in and talk about the great Benny Goodman, you know, who came out of Chicago. and uh, Jennifer Herbie Hudson. Got, yeah, Je Jennifer Hudson. Well, she's not a, a great jazz player. Yeah, but, but I get your point. Yeah. Music. And uh, Ramsey Lewis went to yeah. Wells High School. And so so uh, there were music programs back then, real legitimate music. Programs. Now I know Kenwood has a good music program and Whitney Young has a pretty good music program. But, but you can count them on one hand. Yeah, there you go. Not enough. Yeah. So I, I don't begrudge the saxophone. Yeah, I got okay? you. Fair uh, enough. You know, next contract. Uh, next contract. <laughs> right. But yeah, that, that, it, 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 it gets down to this. In my humble opinion, uh, Lori Lightfoot does not want to make that direct commitment to a certain number of nurses in the school, a certain number of librarians in a school. Why would she be afraid to do that, though, Ben? You have the political capital to do it. The fact that, here, I'm going to say something that folks are really going to be probably troubled by in a second. But who would have thought that the billionaire governor would be more progressive in his first session? No one would have thought that, you know, a couple of years ago, that you would have a billionaire governor who pretty much paid his way towards the election. Take pretty much out of that sentence. He did it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes, he did. He paid it. 172 and million. Moving for the progressive income tax. Yeah. You know, supports an elected representative school board. He's put billions of dollars into infrastructure, capital plans. And then you have a black woman, the first time in the history of Chicago, has the opportunity to make whole generational neglect. And look, I know people are giving her a high five for settling some sort of political score with a particular alderman who was just horrific and awful to the late great Mayor Harold Washington. But black people deserve more than just a, a quib, you know, and quote, shutting down a dude who was inconsequential at this point. Mm -hmm. And this is what I mean by having higher expectations of our elected officials. Like you're not going to get me to celebrate and give you a passing grade because you told, you told Ed Burke like it is. While people on the west side of Chicago and the south side of Chicago are starving, can't afford to live in Chicago, schools don't have the resources that they deserve, you have unemployment that's Great Depression era numbers, and you want me to be excited about a comment you made to a dude who was on his way out? Man, come on, please. We deserve more than that, Ben. And D Lori has the opportunity and the ability to do it. She gets to be a hero in this moment. While she is sulking and, and, and behaving uh, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very um, uh, perennial, sort of immature uh, way, is, 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 is short-sighted and is, is, is beyond disappointing. Well, it should, uh, you have to recognize, we talk about uh, her attitude about the Chicago Teachers Union. The Chicago Teachers Union was very boldly uh, opposed to Lori Lightfoot and said some pretty nasty things about Lori Lightfoot in, their, in the campaign against Tony Preckwinkle. And then in doing that, elevated Tony Preckwinkle to like, like she was suddenly, I don't know, FDR or Eugene Debs or something. I mean, he kind of went far in the rhetoric in that campaign. You will acknowledge that, won't you? Look, through campaigns. You know, when I was campaigning, you know what someone said to me, my opponent? He said I was responsible for school closings. Boykin? Yes. I mean, <laughs> come on. Like, stuff is said come all the time. On, 
you know, he's holding me responsible for the loss of black teachers. Yeah. He said, Are you clear? He, this is what my opponent said to me. He said, the fact that schools close shows you're not a good organizer. So, well, be, be, that too. so, so uh, my, my point is, like, there are people who blame, you know, yeah. you know, John Lewis for the Edmund Pettus Bridge, you know, disaster, right? Congressman John Lewis. Yeah. That's like, you know, blaming like the civil rights leaders for like white supremacy. So, like, look, you have campaigns for yeah. the very purpose of creating contrast. And you have alliances that take place in campaigns that, you know, you may not ever form them again. Think about it, Ben. Let's just be very honest and transparent here. I had Bernie Sanders endorse me and I had Walter Burnett endorse me in the same election cycle. <laughs> That's pretty wild. I'm just That's saying. Alderman Walter Burnett. Yeah. Everybody in between, right? You know, I had trades, public sector. So you have these alliances, people that we fought before. Yeah. It's time to get over it. And by the way, Danny K. Davis, congressman from the 7th Congressional District, uh, supported Boykin in that race. Am I correct about that? He lost. Yeah, Danny K. Davis lost and Boykin lost. But now you're an ally because I, I see your pictures with Danny K. Davis. In other words, what you're saying is that people do I think- I get your point. It's yeah. all right. So now, yes, we were on opposite sides an election cycle ago. And that is, it's over now. Mm -hmm. Now it's time to figure out how to build bridges. Have you made up with my good friend Ricky Hendon yet? We're getting there. <laughs> I saw Ricky Hinton the other day going, I don't I don't I don't want to give him a shameless plug, yeah. but he did invite me on his show. Uh, so there is some reconciliation what, that's about to take place. AD, what's that station again? I always forget the name of oh, it. Oh man, you know it. Come uh, on. Oh WCUR Fire. Is yeah. that the one? Yeah. No, WCU later. Yeah, WCU later, man. All right. Well, that's good to know that Brandon Johnson and Ricky Hennon are making up. Uh so your thoughts. And let me just uh, in addition to what Brandon just said, I mean, of, of course there are things that are said during uh, campaigns and there are alliances that are made but then when they're over and you're weighing the very serious moral issues about everything that brandon just raised are black students on the south and west side in cps schools gonna have librarians are they gonna have nurses certainly these are issues of far greater moral import than anybody's sore feelings about uh, uh being uh you know, endorsed by this union or this, these people said this about me. I mean, there's, there's much bigger things at stake. Well, you could do them both. I mean, uh, you could still tease Brandon and my good friend, Stacy, uh, for going way overboard in their love for Tony Preckwinkle while hiring librarians. You could do both. You could say, have a press conference, go, well, Brandon, you were wrong in the mayoral race, but I'll concede this point. You're right about a librarian, so I'm going to put librarians. But boy, you made a lousy choice in America. You can have fun with it. Like, you tease me about being old every day. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, look, this is the thing. Look, I think we should take our politics seriously. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But, and I'm not saying that you can't take it personal at times. Like, I would be wrong to say that I didn't have moments and I wasn't ready to, you know, Hug. call my cousins. Hug <laughs> Congressman Danny K. Davis. <laughs> call my cousins. I would yeah. never do anything like that, but I do have cousins that yeah. would. Yeah. Um, you know, but the, the truth of the matter yeah. is we were in a situation, not to get too far off into this, but it was very clear from the election night results, by the way, mm -hmm. that had we not supported President Prequinko, you were going to have a daily. You were. He came in third. It was a close third. I think you would have had a daily in your good friend Mendoza. I think there was a real possibility to have that kind of setup, which I think would have been awful. Which no, be very I frank. Like Mendoza. Well, that's a whole other, that's issue other story. So whatever. I'm saying that we actually made a strategic decision, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, based upon the information that was in front of us. And let me be very clear too, by the way, when we met with Mayor Lightfoot the first time, some folks within leadership of the Chicago Teachers Union, 
and she's going to say this tomorrow. She made it very clear that she believes in cuts, closures, consolidations, efficiencies. She's going to downsize the system. She's going to cut jobs. She's going to move an austerity budget. She is. She has not said once, rich folks pay your fair share. She hasn't said it. She hasn't said corporations got to do better. She hasn't said it. She hasn't talked about the LaSalle Street tax. She hasn't talked about expanding democracy for, for families here in, in Chicago for like the representative school board. And so people might think or believe that our presentation was extreme, but what we're seeing right now is a, is, is a very extreme presentation from a mayor who is more committed to austerity budget, which is cloaked in white supremacy. Be very clear, the whole point of austerity budgets to take public accommodation dollars that should be distributed for the, the, the 99%, those accommodations to be gutted, um, to be eliminated from the sphere of access for families, that she is committed to cutting those services and making sure that those dollars that should be designed for the public good get into the hands of the wealthy. The fact that she is actually fighting against the lawsuit that is literally taking billions of dollars away from taxpayers um, is all the evidence we need to know exactly who we're dealing with. The lawsuit he's alluded to, of course, is the one filed by Amisha Patel, Grassroots Collaborative, uh, and Raise Your Hand Coalition against the Lincoln Yards TIF. Uh, Brandon, uh, as we sit here, we come to the end of this show. Do you have any sense of, like, will there be a strike? Uh, do you think that uh, there, there's any, are there any signs that uh, Lori's negotiators are willing to bend on some of these issues? Uh, what's your sense of this? Yeah, we're, we're at the table every single day. Um, just like in 2012, Ben, we know this is a big deal. We don't want to strike. As I mentioned, my children are getting ready for school. You know, my wife has their school supplies already lined up at the door. She can't wait till school starts. Uh, we dropped off my baby girl's supplies to her kindergarten teacher today. So we don't want to see that, right? However, as Micah said earlier, if it means foregoing paychecks to ensure that children have nurses, social workers, counselors, small class sizes, our people are prepared and ready to do that. I think the last thing is to your point, um, is there an opportunity to negotiate? Are there signs? The problem is the entire team that Lori is using, the mayor, Lori Lightfoot is using at the negotiating table. They're all ROMS people. It's the same team. Mm -hmm. She didn't shed any light yeah. <laughs> on any new faces. Wait, the lawyers? The lawyers, the CPS uh, 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 folks that represent the board, uh, CPS, but particularly the lawyers. Jim Franzik has been negotiating bad contracts in Chicago yeah. for a long time. Let me just say time. this, man. As uh, I've ha I sat across from people bargaining on contracts, and, and the people you're, you're dealing with are just taking the point of view of their boss. So Franchik doesn't drive the boat. It's Rom tells Franchik through, here's what I want you to do. Don't give an inch. And, for, you know, these lawyers, they'll... They'll argue A today and B tomorrow, you know? So if if Lori Lightfoot woke up tomorrow and said, you know what? I listened to Brandon Johnson on the Ben Jarofsky show, and he's absolutely <laughs> right. We need a librarian in every school. She called the phone. Yo, Jim, I want you to tell old Jesse, whoever you have at the table, who you block at the table, you, you, I want you to tell him we're going to give agree to a librarian every school because I Brandon's absolutely correct, and he won me over. And Franchico would say, Yes, Mayor Lightfoot, and that's how we would do it, right? And she gets to be a hero. But you got to send a sign to Brandon Johnson or Jesse Sharkey, whoever's at the table, that 
okay, I've had a change of heart. You know, I've I'm, had my soul on the road to Damascus moment, and I realized that we got to do you know, like that, like that PK. Come on, <laughs> preach, brother. You gotta, you gotta show that you can't, you can't just hide it under a bushel. You gotta let it shine. That's friend. two references. That's unbelievable. Yes. The only man who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher man. Yes, he was. I'm sorry, Dusty Springfield. I love you, you and every girlfriend I've ever had who sing that song that right? at some point. Uh, but you gotta show people that you've had a change of heart. That you, you gotta have real signs that you're that you're going to approach this in a different way and you you've realized that you got to that, you, that, you, that you're showing them that you're going to fight for these nurses you can got to fight for the, uh, these libraries whatever and the way to do that is to send one way to do that is to send different people to the table to advocate for that different agenda well you know me and like i love librarians so come on Lori, get a librarian in every school i don't want to hear any of this thing we can't afford a librarian bottom line in my humble opinion if we can afford a tiff for lincoln yards we can afford a librarian in every school and a few nurses because I love nurses too all right and if we do get to the point Brandon yeah. says that he and the rest of the union doesn't want to get there where they're out on the picket line but as we were discussing earlier the last time around they went on strike I'm sure it was painful for a lot of people painful for people in their communities but that changed the way that we talk about education in Chicago around the country changed the way we talk about austerity period in this country uh, it, the union took a stand against austerity as being brought forward by Ron Manuel and beat him and won. And so if the teachers are out again on the picket line, it's going to be to be against austerity and we should be backing them and, and, and support uh, the CTU taking another stand against these butts, against these budget cuts and, and for justice in our schools for teachers and for students. All right. That's uh, very well put, Micah. And uh, the, I did not know he was the son of a preacher, man. Enlightenment brought to me by Brandon Johnson today. Micah, if, uh, if folks want to get a hold of you, want to reach you, uh, how can they do that? On Twitter, M-I-C-A-H-U-E-T-R-I-C-H-T. But I prefer they go read jacobinmag.com. Okay, and he's got that big book about Bernie Sanders that's going to come out really Early soon. 2020, yeah. Uh, and Brandon will somehow forgive him when it's President Warren in the White House. Uh, Brandon, folks want to get a hold of you? Yeah, they can tweet me, Brandon CCD1. That's Brandon CCD1. You can go to my Facebook page as well, Brandon Johnson. Brandon, there. very good. Brandon Johnson, uh, we didn't even get a chance to talk sports. That's the next time. Brandon, Go Cubbies. Sports. Go Cubbies. Oh. I thought you were a White Sox fan. Man, please. All right. Uh, Brandon Johnson, uh, Michael Uterich. I also want to thank the great, the immortal, the legendary Monroe Anderson. Uh, we've been here so long, Miles has left to go back to college. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my guy, Miles. He did a great job as always. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind when the When I was a little girl, I remember <laughs> singing this song. This. Let it this little light of mine. <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. We've said it's time to bring in the light. All right. And it's sure shining on all of us tonight. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. All right. What Thank you very what are the people chanting in the background is Brandon Johnson. <laughs> Either that or the people who also watched Rocky Balboa take on Drago. I mean, that kind of reminded me of his political speech. And if I can change, and if you can change, remember that speech? Yeah, Everybody I can't believe can you're change. you're quoting Rocky. Unbelievable, Brandon. Let it shine. Have you seen, by the way, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet? I have not. Oh, run, don't walk. All right. Anyway, uh, I was going to say the man behind the board, uh, you know what they call him back home in Alton? Uh, Brandon, do you know that? They call him White Lightning. Yes, indeed. The man, the myth, the legend. Give yourself a raise, Dr. D. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow. Take a chill pill, man. <laughs>
And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders, you know we live stream this program, right? It's true. We do. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time, once again at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites in the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. We now Facebook video live stream. Go check that out. And while you're on Facebook, give us a like. When we hit 2,000 likes on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, we will have a Lori Lightfoot caption contest. We'll see you tomorrow.